Well, this is what you see a lot in um, scientific or what I call scientism is that they'll propose a model and then, you know, base it on unproven speculative lies, just like lie after lie. And then they'll say, well, do you have another model? This is a common ruse in scientism. And you'll see it in evolutionary theory. You'll see it in the geography of the Earth. Um, for instance, with with the um, the flat Earth thing you mentioned, it's like, well, where's the edge? You know, show me the edge. If it's flat, and then I'll say something like, um, I can't go to Antarctica because there's a treaty amongst 50-plus nations. And if I try, they'll turn me away by force, and if I keep going, they'll shoot my plane down, and, and, you know, I'll die. And they'll say, oh, no, you can go there if you want. I'll say, well, try it. You can't even go investigate. Okay, so that's the first thing. That's why I don't know the edge, unless you look into Admiral Byrd, you know, the chronoscope interview with Admiral Byrd. He talks about, he you know, he talks about hitting an edge and losing planes. Okay, so... There you go. That's the edge thing. You don't know, like you just said, and I don't know. So what they'll say is, yeah, but our model does know. It's a globe, and here's the exact situation. So they'll propose a hypothetically uh, a fantasy, an occult fantasy, um, and because it has so many parameters and variables and intricate um, complexities, it's based on Kabbalah, where there's 10... Um, Interdimensions, you know, there's ten dimensions. Um, it's the seraph, you know, you have the pillar of mercy and you have the pillar of severity, the Kabbalistic tree of life, all these dimensions. It's very complex, very well thought out. You've got John Dee in um, Europe in the 16th century um, operating from this. You've got Sir Francis Bacon operating from this. You've got all the occult masters, Sir Isaac Newton, the uh, Hermetic Babylonian priesthood, you know, this the Kabbalah. So it's pretty well thought out. So if you base a modern scientific system, astrophysics, based on this very intricate occult doctrine, um, yeah, it's going to be very convincing because you've repackaged occultism, very complex thousands of years of thinking, and then you turn it into this new religion called astrophysics. So it's going to be very convincing, is my point. It's very compelling to encounter that and say, wow, I can't refute it. So when you say, well, I don't know the edge of the earth, well, say, well, your system's pitiful. I mean, you don't even know the edge of the earth. So, you know, why do I even listen to you? And see, this is what you're running into. And I'm running into because you don't have all the answers. Scientism says, well, we do. But my response is these are occult fantasies that are your answers. So evolutionary theory is the same way. Scientism priests will say, well, it happened through random evolution and it evolved through millions and millions of years. And then, quote, how else could it happen, unquote. So if you say something like, well, how about a creator? And I don't know exactly the mechanism in which God created um, a through uh, um, what's called, um, what's it called? There's a, when things go back to a very oh, um, irreducible complexity, when like the eye has uh, many mechanisms that have to come into existence at the same time. So the human organism and the, the brain and the nervous system and the heart, it's so complex that it can't just randomly evolve. It, 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 you have to have thousands of mechanisms in place working in perfect concert at the same time. And, of course, if you study statistics, the odds of that happening are beyond impossible. 
not, not only is a thousand things coming into existence at the same time impossible, but even three things working in perfect concert coming into existence, I mean, the odds are just against the house. So what they'll say is, well, you're saying a creator did it, and you can't explain how. And so we're saying we have a model. We have a fraudulent, faulty bullshit model based on random microevolution with chaotic, meaningless, unguided, you know, rubbish. But they do have a model. So that's what you're, you're seeing, whether it be flat earth or evolutionary theory or Big Bang cosmology. All of these things are proposed as factual because they say, well, what is your alternative? Now, the Big Bounce is one that's come into problems because the Big Bounce, well, there's plenty of um, reputations to that. In fact, the Big Bounce went out the window a long time ago, and it got uh, superseded by the Big uh, – I'm sorry, the, the Big Bang got superseded and was replaced by the Big Bounce. And then you've got multiverse theory, and you've got um, – all these different types of ways of looking at the origins of the universe. Okay, so even the Big Bang theory it can't hold up its own weight anymore, and it's been exchanged with other astrophysical theories. So, so that's the game. Every Tuesday, there's a new theory on the block. It's, I call it a theory tale, like a fairy tale. There's a new theory uh, for the biogenesis of life. There's a new theory for the origins of the universe. There's a new theory for how things evolve. There's a new theory for the, the shape of the earth. And as long as they keep generating theory after theory and keep everyone mystified and on the run, people will never catch up and question these doc, um, these Neil deGrasse Tyson, Michio Kaku type of scientism priests. They can get away with murder because no one can catch up with all of this occult dogma that's been repackaged as science. It's almost like they got everybody pushed so far into these ideas that uh, they keep people splitting hairs about the tail end of the idea instead of questioning the whole idea itself. That's exactly it. I mean, if you can keep people on the go about all these different doctrines, um, I mean, scientific doctrines, um, for instance, simulation theory, as is quantum mysticism and artificial intelligence, digital techno-spirituality, um, and synthetic occult, there's synthetic occult fantasies. Um, the dance of Shiva is, is, um, the metaphor for CERN to represent the quantum particles coming, popping in and out of existence. Um, there's holographic universe theory. Um, you get, so there's just no end to the theoretical mumbo jumbo. And so as long as they keep you dancing around in all these theoretical frameworks, um, your average person doesn't have time to dig and investigate as to the um, whether these things are bona fide or valid. Your average person is trying to, you know, get a cup of coffee and get to work on time. They're really not trying to delve into um, the pixelated matrix information theory. <laughs> they just don't have the time. <laughs> and so I do. Or, you know, I don't know if I do. I still have a full-time job like anyone else. I, I think I have two jobs, full-time job and another job, substitute teaching and, and another job. Um, and I write and I compose music and I play in a band and I play symphonic metal. And um, I have a lot going on. So um, I just think, I just think some people, maybe this is like the grace part, are guided to look into it and others aren't. And I can't tell you why. 
I can't tell you why in my life things happened to me which pushed me to dig extremely deep. Whereas the same things might have happened in someone else's life and they said, um, well, my solution is to get, have uh, five kids and just focus on football. <laughs> you know, I, don't, uh, I can't tell you how or why some of us are waking up and some aren't. Yeah, it it is kind of strange because some people don't seem to take to spiritual concepts very well at all. It's it's almost like they just can't really grasp them. They don't want to try it, and they have no interest in it. And um, I, I'm not really sure why that is, but it, it's almost like some people are, are just lacking that spark. Yeah, that's maybe that's one way of putting it. Um, there's an old phrase, I used to hear this a lot, that um, people say, you know, you chose God. You chose this path to learn about, you know, the most coveted, deepest, secret things. And then the response to that is people say, well, well, no, God chose you. And then people say, oh, so what, you're special? <laughs> and then the person in the same response, no, being chosen by God is not like a happy-go-lucky road. <laughs> it's like everything's not rosy when you're on this path. It's just the opposite. And so, and again, I can't tell you, like, if you're choosing God, if God's choosing you, if it's the symbiotic same thing. Or, I mean, that it's like a mystery. I don't know. But what is evident is that there are, maybe it's genetic, like the, uh, the Noah story. Maybe there's a genetic component to certain mortals that leads them to be Luciferian and to re- reject Christ. Like, um, isn't the Noah story really about a a genetic deficiency? Where there was a certain genetic deficiency, with, uh, you know, sinful, satanic, wicked uh, creature that God had to wipe out with the flood, and Noah wasn't contaminated. His genetics were were in such a way that he still respected the Lord. I mean, I don't know the answer. I'm just proposing. Yeah, one, one, thing one thing that's very curious about that is that a lot of these uh, dark occultists, uh, Satanists, Luciferians, they'll, they'll they'll tell you that they're complete atheists, there's no God, no devil, and then they'll go on to like do these demon-summoning rituals and, and venerate Lucifer, even though they started off by saying that everything is fake. You know, maybe, and then this might sound harsh, you know, people like to say, you don't have to be a genius to find God. And that's true. I believe that. I think some people are are blessed with a gift of faith. They don't have to think it through. They don't have to walk the path they walk. They simply have faith. Like, you know, faith as a child. Christ said faith, the meek, faith as a child. Um, And so, but then there's those that are, and this might sound harsh, there's those that that are just dumb. They're actually dumb. Their logic doesn't line up. Things like, oh, I'm an atheist, but I'm going to do this, raise the cone of power in a satanic pentagram on the ground with a goat's blood. (laughs) 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 It's like, dude, maybe you're not an atheist. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if you're you're messing around with blood and a dead animal – uh, there's things happening there. there. There's things happening on the astral plane and in other dimensions, and there's 
you, you know, energy being passed back and forth to, to, to write it all off and to, to think that you're just sitting there playing Dungeons and Dragons or, or role playing LARPing, something like that. It, it's just ridiculous. I mean, of course something's happening. It's as if the, the master stroke of, and of course you've heard this before, Daniel, the master stroke of Satan or the devil or Lucifer is to convince you that there is no such thing yeah. as Satan, right? Yeah, I've so, been saying that like left and right lately. <laughs> <laughs> so as, as long as I, you know, as long as I can convince you that it's, it's all just hocus pocus bullshit, right? There's no Lucifer, or there's the Luciferian doctrine, but there's no like Luciferian intelligent demonic entity behind it. If I can convince you that it's all fun and games, then you just go about your merry way with no understanding of occult ritual, no understanding of demonic power, no understanding of anything, and do everything that I want you to do without knowing you're doing it. This is what I'll kind of say that I think my maybe halfway gets through to people. I'll say, well, the, the universe is a body, and, and just like us, we have a good side and a dark side. Well, the universe can be conscious, and it can have a good side and a dark side. So doesn't it make sense that there could be an evil, vast consciousness out there kind of directing things? Well, that, and that's just Kabbalah. I mean, what you just said right now is actually Kabbalah. <laughs> it's not even Christian. You, you, you just mentioned the, you know, the dark side and the light side of the force, and you talked about – used the word the universe – um, that's basically the Kabbalistic doctrine that there's good and there's evil and good, and they're conjoined and they intermingle, and you have to have a balance between the force, uh, a balance between good and evil, and then so, um, you know, even if you're into Star Trek, there's good and evil, but um, in the absolute, I don't know the word to say, but in the absolute heart of God or in the absolute domain of the Lord, there is no evil. As far as I know, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the paradox that it, um, Epicurus, you know, whence cometh evil if God is all good, <laughs> right? And so is God the author of both good and evil? And so that would make God Satan. And this is the Epicurean um, enigma or paradox, the paradox of Epicurus, okay, so Greek. And so, and of course, it's absurd. No, God is not the author of evil. And it's the idea that God is good. And the mystery, it's called the mystery of evil in classical Greek philosophy. It's called the mystery of evil. But they, we don't know where, you know, whence cometh evil. We don't know. We don't know how Lucifer fell. We don't know how there was a rebellion from the sovereign, absolute divinity of God. We, we don't know. And, and people who claim to know, um, well, I want to hear their explanation because I'm always open to another you know, possibility, but I've looked into it for about 30 years, and I certainly don't know. And I don't really think I'm that dumb. <laughs> I, we, we, it's beyond our comprehension. It, it's like beyond dualistic thinking. You might know if you may, if you take enough, enough ayahuasca, you might know. <laughs> you know, at the at the, the as you're peaking on DMT, yeah, you probably know. But you can't bring that back down and use you know dualistic. A language and linguistics to explain it to anybody. You could write a song about it. You could do a dance about it. But I mean, these are things that are beyond man's understanding. And so we we try to penetrate that veil. And that's the Luciferian uh, secret mystery school core is to keep looking for this secret knowledge without end to, to figure it out. And so even as you and I talk, we're 
see, we're always we're all indoctrinated by Luciferianism, you included, and, and me. We're always trying to get to the secret knowledge and figure things out. We're all we are all doing Lucifer's work. Like right now on the radio, you and I are doing Lucifer's work. <laughs> this sounds funny, but we are. But there's a caveat. It's tempered with a Christian spirit of realizing that um it's not in the uncovering of these secrets that we're going to be saved. See, there's a difference. We're just revealing the game. Like my book, The Scientism Delusion, and my next book, I'm revealing the deception. I'm not endorsing the deception. And I'm not endorsing that you practice the rituals that underpin Luciferian philosophies. And so you see, Daniel, there's a huge difference between looking into secret knowledge as opposed to looking to secret knowledge for apotheosis or salvation. Yeah, that's the um, that's the old old sort of idea that uh, this this or that group like oh Scientology, if you make it to the highest level, you finally get to read from the secret book and learn what's really right. going on. And then when you actually read it, you find out that it's a bunch of weird BS about Xenu and an alien god doing this and that. And then, I mean, it's got to be disappointing. You work so hard for such a lame, cartoonish truth. And you have to kind of, like, start buying into a lot of stuff. You know, people say Christians buy into a lot by having faith in, you know, redemption through the sacrifice of Christ. Like, what a way out story. Like, the genetic um, pool became contaminated, so God uh, erased everyone through a flood, and Noah survived, and then, you know, later on, there was a, a God established a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice of Christ on the crucifix to, because we're sinful, and people say, well, that's a lot to buy into, you know? Well, you know what's even more to buy into? Nephilim, Anunnaki, Nibiru, Marduk, flying through outer space, coming back for the final atomic attack. I mean, that's a lot more to bite off than there being a God and God um, becoming human and experiencing our pain. I mean, that's like, you know, that's a lot of pain to experience all the sins of the world. And people say, well, that's just like, you know, Marvel Comics land. How can you experience all the sins of the world? Well, well, how about Marduk coming back to attack the earth? You know, explain that one. Well, first of all, prove to me outer space exists. And then we'll go to the Marduk Anunnaki Nephilim fables. I mean, people talk about this stuff like it's absolutely real. I don't want to name names. Yeah, if you actually I, look at some of these old uh, myths, myths or, or history or whatever it is that comes out of Sumer, they, they don't yeah. really ever say anything about spaceships or anything like that. That's a huge projection that Sitchin was doing by saying that there, there's nuts and bolts, flying saucers and stuff like that. I mean, it, it's obvious that there's probably something there, but but the way that he projects onto it and and the way that he kind of adds his own, um, you know, it's got to be this, it's got to be aliens, it just doesn't seem to match up because I, I mentioned this last time, uh, if you actually look at a lot of that stuff, there's magic and spells and demons and a lot of things that Sitchin completely leaves out. Yeah, it, it's kind of like, um, and again, I'm not going to name names, but I ran into certain individuals that, you know, were claiming that I was, quote, Woke, unquote. <laughs> this guy's, you know, and I'm not saying that I don't appreciate when people say it. You've said it, and other people have said that. 
And it's like, but it was just, it was more of a marketing thing. Like when you say it, you're saying it because um, you're trying to like spread some truth. But they were more like trying to like market their products by saying that they met a guy who's woke, you know, and that would lead traffic to their website. You know, so what you have is you have a kind of game where all these truthers, these enlightened truthers, um, they talk about all the Luciferian, you know, doctrines and becoming enlightened and secret knowledge and the Nephilim and the, um, you know, Marduk and Enki and en- en- Enlil and Ninki and Inanna, Utu. <laughs> There's no end to the names. And Zachary Stitchin, you know, the, there's Chariots of the Gods, Chariots of the Gods by um, Von Daniken. Yeah. Talking about, uh, yeah, the hypothesis dealing with the possibility of extraterrestrials being in, influencing ancient technology. And so there's a long lineage of all the, you know, um, Stonehenge and Easter Island and um, these um, these authors coming out and explaining about Nibiru and ancient aliens. And so my point is, it's like dark matter and black holes and dark energy. All these things are more plausible to people than the simple idea that um, you have sin and if you look to Christ, you will have eternal life. Like, that's a simple thing. All this other stuff is crazy town. And it's accepted as absolutely plausible now. It just shows you how powerful Lucifer is because this is all Luciferian occult fantasy. It's repackaged as, you know, Sumerian. And it's not like you say, it's not based on true Sumerian tablets. They just kind of a, 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 a superimpose and a scribe meaning. They reinterpret things. It's like the movie Prometheus that I talk about so much. Prometheus did the same thing. They had these secret tablets, like Sumerian tablets from all over the world. And they all point to aliens. So they're going to go to this planet and meet the what's called the architects or the engineers. And it turns out it's like a, the engineers want to kill mankind. This is Ridley Scott's Prometheus and Alien Covenant, his movies. And it's about just what you're talking about, just uncovering tablets that lead to ancient aliens being our ancestors. And so my response is um, all of this goes bye-bye if there's no outer space. It's like the whole thing shuts down. It's gone. I'm talking about millions and millions and millions of truthers and talkers and hosts and books. All of it gets crushed if there's no outer space. And so when I run across these types of websites and peoples and authors and they you know, talk about me and they talk about wanting to get me on their show and they, my book, and as soon as I suggest that everything they stand for is a lie. It really makes them upset. Like they really get nervous quick. Yeah, I totally know the feeling. I mean, um, just the idea that there were no aliens and all this stuff about ancient astronauts that I was getting so excited about and having so much fun with. I mean, I read like what nine of those Sitchin books. It took a very long time. It cost a lot of money to find all those books. It's disappointing hearing that it's not real, but I suppose for me it is kind of part of the process because even though I think the basic premise of Sitchin's books were wrong, it was still interesting hearing about the subject in general. It made me think and kind of led me to this point where now I see that um, there was some kind of deception or inversion going on and 
uh, it, it probably wasn't anything like that. If if those gods or whatever they were were walking around, they they must have been coming from another dimension, or maybe they were just myths and stories and and things of that nature. And I don't think we we should ever berate ourselves for our, our stages of waking up. I mean, I I believed full-heartedly in all of astrophysics and cosmology and astronomy and all the findings of quantum physics and, um, you know, absolutely everything put out by NASA my whole life. I thought, yeah, this is all the, the cutting edge, the pinnacle, the apex of thinking and science. And, so, and then it was just only a few years ago that the whole thing started to crumble before my eyes. And that's the scientism delusion was the phoenix that rose out of the ashes of my complete um, being crushed. Like, how everything I knew is wrong all of a sudden. And that's where that book came from. But I said, okay, so I've been kind of on the tail, you know, hot on the tail of this stuff, but now it's all become crystal clear. Like, it, it's, it was one of the biggest aha moments of my life. It was a 626-page aha moment. <laughs> and and so I think it's okay to go through those stages and not berate yourself. You're just like, oh, okay, so I used to think such and such. But the good thing is now you have an understanding of what other people believe. So you know what, uh, because you, you studied Sitchins, you know what other people are. Um, you have compassion, too, for what they're going through because you were in it, too. Yeah, exactly. You believe, you and, and, and I yeah. had people telling me, uh, my friend Todd, he would tell me, uh, Daniel, I, I don't believe in aliens. William Cooper used to say that the alien thing was fake, and, and he discovered that very late in his career. And, and I would say, Todd, that's ridiculous. Of course there's aliens. Look how many planets are out there. I'd, I'd actually get a little bit angry at him. But sure. but now, sure. I mean, he must be very satisfied because, uh, you know, it was an ongoing process, and, and I suppose uh, it, it was your work that finally made me actually turn the corner and, and realize uh, he must be ecstatic because I, I agree with him now. It, it seems that most of, if not all, that alien stuff is just complete hogwash. Yeah, because of me, um, I gave you the darkest day of your life. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was that was another thing that you did to me. You you kept uh, kept tweeting about Trump and, and Israel, and you freaking got to me so bad, I finally just had to give up on Trump because I got so darn mad. <laughs> I know, I've had friends... Um, tell me that w whether you're right or wrong, Greg, you're so good at presenting an argument that you never lose, and whoever you're talking to is just going to end up being crushed. And I was kind of like laughing, going, well, no, I'm, I don't try to crush anybody. Um, it's, I could be wrong on all these things, too, you know. But, it, but if someone can't well, launch an argument, like if nobody can launch an argument to refute it, it's like in science. The, the thing that is believed is the thing that can't be refuted. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay, so if I if I say, um, you know, gravity is a real force and you can't refute it, well, you, you're forced to believe it. But if you can say, well, what about the idea of electromagnetic dielectric differentials operating in the toroidal field in a matrix of density and buoyancy? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well... <laughs> that changes the game. Then you're like, oh, well, so you have a theory that shows gravity is not necessary? And it's like, well, yeah, electromagnetics is sufficient. You don't need to go to Walt Disney magic ball gravity. You know? Oh, yeah, that's so, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, 
Talba, the Electric Universe? Yeah, exactly. And, and so that's the thing is if I propose a theory like the outer space is not true and Trump, whatever I say about that, um, what you have is me looking into it and coming out with the most plausible, verifiable, provable theory that anyone can find. And so if somebody can actually crush it, you know, refute it, it stands. It actually stands. And so I, I try to let people know I'm, I don't necessarily have the ultimate truth. You know, my whole book, Scientism and Delusion, it isn't gospel. I'm not God. I'm just looking into it, putting the pieces together, and realizing there's a coherent mosaic that makes sense. I think the reason people find it true, whether I talk about Trump or I talk about outer space or quantum mysticism or scientism, um, I've really looked into it so deeply that it um, – let me put it this way, Daniel. I am either um, Lucifer himself, <laughs> you know, to, to be this thorough and convincing to the world, or I'm actually giving you the truth of things and I'm following Christ. So, you know, it's up to you to, to figure it out. And, and I'll tell you right away, I'm, I'm not a Luciferian, so don't worry. But that's the thing. I'm so convincing, people think, well, that's like Luciferian stature. That's like only Lucifer could really. And it's like, well, but we can't completely discredit Christ, right? I mean, God. Don't you think there's an intelligence in God and Christ that can actually combat Lucifer? And so my response is, absolutely. So I think I'm on the... I've been focusing on Christ and God for my whole life, and I think that's what's led me to this, the the, informa- the knowledge that there is a deception, layers of it, and the goal is not to completely fall into the abyss of it, but to look at it as a way of understanding what's going on that points you to morality and points you back to Christ. That's the goal. My goal isn't to make you a zealot for the secret mystery schools and to make you... Um, and when I say you, I don't mean just you, I mean anybody. I, I'm not trying to get everybody to delve into the mysteries and like all these websites about Anunnaki and Nephilim and crystals and they've got the next chapter of Nibiru's progress and they want you to keep investigating. It, it's just like rubbish taking you down into a, an abyss, a labyrinth of Luciferian trap. And that's really one of the things I wanted to say is ultimately, and I, this is a, a key point I want to make tonight, um, it's the, the abyss of these quantum probabilities people are looking into. Ultimately, the end result of reducing things down to this quantum mystical level of uh, secret knowledge um, is inevitably inevitable. It's plunging down into an abyss um, where the rules of reality break down. If you keep following Luciferian secret mystery knowledge, time-space breaks down, everything's incomprehensible, um, the traditional rules of physics go out the window. There's, you're inviting mystical and magical ovations. And the, the floor that you hit is just another trap door. It falls even further. And so you don't want to get too involved in the Babylonian mystery school religions um, in terms of finding the, the bottom of the abyss. You will not find it. You will be trapped in a Luciferian labyrinth your entire life, it will lead you into deeper, deeper occultism. Next thing you know, you will be practicing occult rituals, 
thinking that you're just innocently investigating into the occult and you will, some people, you know, you never, ever, ever make it back. And, and you got to think about what, what you're doing because um, when you're doing these rituals and things like that, it's really a very selfish thing because you're either trying to uh, gain some sort of power, you're trying to get rid of somebody or hurt somebody, uh, or you're trying to gain money, or you're trying to, like, force somebody to love you. There's so many reasons why you really would have no reason to do any sort of ritual like that because most rituals like that are done for your own personal gain and to make things better only for yourself. Uh, yeah, you're hinting on the idea that a lot of these rituals actually are intrinsically selfish. I mean, it's not just that it goes awry. It's not that you're raising the cone of power with pig's blood and it goes awry. <laughs> so now it's, you're actually trying to, you know, make Sheila love you and she lives in another country or you're trying to um, make Jacob uh, fail the bar exam so you can become the, you know, the only law student at that college. A, a lot of these things are not um, innocent. Um, the other thing is, you know, are you a good witch or a bad witch? Well, there's the, the good witch says, no, I only do life-affirming things. Like, like the Gaia, the Wiccan Gaia thing where they're kind of like hugging trees and trying to get, you know, nature to flourish and, and, but, but then you see in practice, you've got covens and dancing around fires in the dark and trying to create, uh, and all of a sudden they've got sex magic. It's, uh, and I'm like, wait a minute, what happened to this innocent white witch thing? You've got sex magic, you've got occultism, um, you've got all of a sudden sacrifice, and all of a sudden there's pentagrams, which are iconically powerful symbols that Luciferian powers, um, uh, channel through. Okay, so, it, but I agree with you. It's not this innocent thing. The occult isn't just hidden. People have this thing where they deflect the severity of it by saying, oh, the occult, it just means hidden. Like, I don't know, hidden in Greek or Latin. You know, occult just means hidden. No. Incorrect. Occult is not just hidden. Occult is the secret knowledge of Lucifer. So when people try to soft soap it and say, ah, oh, no, that's just hidden knowledge, you know, and you should get that knowledge. You'll, you'll have some power. Say, well, okay, so go down that road and get back to me. I've been there. I went down the road. You don't get power. You get the illusion of power. Uh, every Satanist and every Luciferian may get away with genociding millions, may get away with um, creating statues in his image, you know, like... Um, the Byzantine Empire, or Ozymandias, the huge sculpture, and the dust of time wash it away. You, there's no enduring eternal anything with the occult. There's the deception and the illusion of power and the illusion of apotheosis, the illusion of everything. And so that's the, that's the thing that uh, Luciferians and Satanists don't know, and I do know. That's why I keep talking about Christ, because you can follow the path. You will not live forever. You will, like I, t I told someone recently, you'll be 75 with spittle. Spittle will be drooling from your mouth as you're dying in a hospital bed. You will not live forever. I don't care what rituals, I don't care how enlightened, if you're a bodhisattva, if you're a Rinpoche, a Zen master, a, I don't care. It's irrelevant. You're going nowhere. You got one life. 
reincarnation is an occult fantasy. I've never met a reincarnated person. <laughs> there's never been one. People claim it, but there's no proof. It's just more occult fantasy. You've got one life, and you, have, you only have one important decision to make, and that is, do you choose Christianity or do you choose the world? That's the only choice you have in this one life. And if you don't get it right, the consequences are eternal suffering in hell or eternal life. If you think it's a game and it's all bullshit, then do Pascal's wager. Just choose what you choose. You know, if you choose Christ and you're wrong, you had a moral life. If you choose Christ and you're right, you have eternal life. If you choose Lucifer and you're wrong, you're out of luck. So it's, that's what's called Pascal's wager. And I'm not saying a person should follow Christ based on a, a gambling wager. I'm just saying, you know, the chips are down and there is a choice to make. And it's also interesting that if you look at what Jesus was actually doing, he wasn't doing anything to make himself money or to have power over people. He was helping people. He was helping a blind man see. He was raising Lazarus from the dead. Or, or he was uh, uh, turning water to, into wine so a bunch of people could have a good time. Well, the thing is, Daniel, if you study any kind of these, like, truther communities and all these websites talking about Anunnaki and Nibiru and the Nephilim and, you know, Sumerian tablets, Marduk, they're always going to be saying things like, oh, that's really the superficial understanding of Christ. I mean, haven't you heard that before? That you, quote, have a superficial understanding. You know, the real Christ was the Gnostic Christ, the secret knowledge that Christ embodied that he was trying to teach you that, you know, you can be as I am. You know, that quote from the Bible, you can be a god. That's really what you're going to be finding on this, this earth, is people saying that Christ wasn't showing the way to himself. He was showing the way <clears throat> to apotheosis. If you, if you do what Christ taught, you can become God. And that's the Gnostic Luciferian Christ that is taught in the New Age. You're rarely going to find um, what they call a superficial understanding of Christ, the idea that you have sin and that you can't live more than one life and that you are incapable of saving yourself and that you are in need of a gift of salvation. You will rarely ever hear that anymore. You'll only hear about the Gnostic interpretation of all the secret knowledge that Christ had. You too can have it. And this new car, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, and uh, one thing that you often hear, as somebody actually told me this, they said that, well, Lucifer and Jesus are actually the same person. Right, and that's, again, the Gnostics hocus-pocus. You know, like the Madame Helena Blavatsky school, where they invert, and I think you've mentioned that quite a bit, the inversion of um, everything is 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 an occult. And so Madame Helena Blavatsky in the New Age of Luciferian occultism, she she's going um, to invert Lucifer, and the serpent is now the real god. And this is and you get the demiurge and the archons and all these stuff. Sophia, um, it's all Gnostic Luciferianism. And I was into it for a while coming out of out of college because I thought, you know, this New Age stuff is probably not right, but this Gnostic Luciferianism, you know, this Christian stuff, this is probably the truth, that Christ was showing us the way. And it just didn't take too many months to figure out, wait a minute, 
so wait, at what point do I, I become enlightened? And I started reading about Zen uh, Buddhism and the Suzuki school of Zen meditation. I started getting involved in, and I realized, wait a minute, you can't become enlightened. There's nobody that's enlightened. And I met some Zen masters, and they were just idiots. <laughs> they weren't enlightened. People were worshiping and bowing to them. And I was like, you're a fool. You know, and they were, like, dumb, too. Like, they couldn't do things like just basic physics. <laughs> they, they, some of them were silent. And they wrote on chalkboards. And so now they were enlightened because now they didn't know how to speak, so they were enlightened. You know, there's no end to the game. And so once you realize that the Gnostic Luciferianism is a, a ruse, you can't become enlightened, you can't become God, you can't get all these powers that make you live forever. All of it is a lie. And people, the, the fact that we can't think it through shows you how hypnotic Satanism and Luciferianism is. We, we, we get vexed and hypnotized, mesmerized by the dream and promise of Lucifer, by the promise of apotheosis, by the promise of power. And so we, for, or, you know, people say you'll be very, the most humble of them all. How about that? <laughs> you know, like, talk about paradox. You'll be so incredibly humble, the most humble, you know, just more rubbish. And so you think it through a few times and go, you know, it's not going to, I got one shot. And it's like that led me after a whole lifetime of kind of hubris, arrogance, I finally realized I have faults and frailties and um, carnal flesh fixation. These things are not going away. There is no way out. I will die in this dilemma. And so then it, that's what led me back to this Christianity thing. Oh, that's exactly what Christ said. You can't get out. And so the free gift, and so we're, we're back to the same thing. All of my research and I'll probably all of yours, everyone's research leads to the same. If you study Luciferianism, it leads to the same conclusion that there is no way through in the Luciferian doctrine. You cannot be saved. You cannot anything. You can only be deceived, which leads to another alternative, the Christian gift of salvation or reject the Christian gift, stick with the Luciferian game, and that's your life. And, and it seems like most people have chosen a door number two. Most people in the world have chosen the new age of secret knowledge. I think it's important for people out there to realize that deception truly is an art form. It's a science. It's something that there are books published about. It's something that you can learn to do. It's something that a lawyer would be very skilled at. And you got to remember that if there are demonic beings out there, they're probably very old and very intelligent, and they are, are masters of this art form, of this skill. Well, you can go back to Greek time, sophistry. I sometimes mention sophistry. I don't know. The, I don't know the exact definition, but you know, um, it, whether it's Sophocles, I don't know. But sophistry, and you have the Greeks arguing logic and reason and philosophy. Aristotle, Socrates, Aristophanes, um, Socrates, I mean um, Plato, and some some wrote their own stuff. Some had scribes, you know, students write it for them. And the idea through dialectics and the Hegelian dialectic um, and so sophistry and the Socratic um, inquiry, you ask questions. This is not new, like you say. This was becoming a science, a rhetoric, and philosophic discourse, and um, 
all these things thousands of years ago were, were being perfected. Okay, well, that's just mortal man. So like, I'm agreeing with what you say. We've got an intellectual fire, a Promethean fire called Lucifer with all of the intellectual cards. Sir Francis Bacon, the who started the um, um, scientific method, and he was fully into alchemy and Luciferian doctrine. So science essentially comes from Luciferian intellectual fire. Uh, Prometheus, the firebringer, is often equated as Lucifer. Lucifer brought the fire of intellect. And so here I am talking intellectually often, and I'm using the intellectual fire that Lucifer gave me. But what am I doing it? I'm using it against Lucifer. So people say, well, if Lucifer is so sophisticated, how can you, Mr. Garrett, pull that off? And my response is, because I am cleaving to Christ. That's the only reason I am able to pull anything off. Because I, I keep going back to the fact that I cannot do it. I cannot save myself. I cannot overcome all the sinful nature. I've tried. I cannot. I've never met anyone who could. And I cannot be enlightened. And as soon as I started to realize that, I realized, I mean, actually my, the doors of my mind opened up when I realized that I cannot overcome sin. So I spent my whole life thinking that there's no such thing as sin, you know, the new age. And that was the doorway to giving me the liberty to um, understand these things at a deeper level and actually express them was the simple, simple thing of understanding that I can't overcome my own sin. That's, that was the doorway. That, that's all it is. It's not that I'm sophisticated or intellectual or any of that. Because there's people far more intellectual than me, far more sophisticated than me, and they're teaching, you know, as I say, doctrines of demons. They're, they're teaching doctrines of philosophy of Luciferian um, occultism, hermetic philosophy. I mean, science is hermetic. It's Babylonian occultism. It's largely Kabbalah, alchemical Kabbalah. And that's really what, at least quantum physics and... Um, even artificial intelligence and astrophysics is based on. I, I'm kind of like going roundabout in what you're saying, but so yeah, there, there you go. And, and part of the reason why I say this is because of two things that I have uh, researched slash investigated, or at least interviewed people about um, the aliens and the hauntings, both the world of aliens and the world of hauntings and demonic activity, they both include their deception. The aliens are always lying to people. They're saying, oh, we're from this place, we're from that place, this is what's going on, that's what's going on, and a lot of very conflicting stuff coming from different so-called alien groups. And then on the haunting side of things, there's more deception going on. These demonic beings are pretending to be your dead loved ones just so they can get in your head, so they can get permissions to come inside of your home, and they can get more control over you. Well, this reminds me of the whole um, ethnogen thing, you know, psychedelics, the ethnogens. Um, it, it's the same kind of thing where, it, it, remember, we're dealing with the biblical concept of I come as an angel of light. Lucifer comes as an angel of light. So whether it be an alien, a trusting alien, or a demonic alien, or an interdimensional entity, it doesn't really matter after a while. Because what we're dealing with is um, a type of a strategy to misrepresent who, who or what you are at all times. And it doesn't even matter anymore if it, the mechanism, are, are there really aliens posing as demons or are there demonic entities posing as aliens? I mean, ultimately, it 
all the same thing. It's kind of like the ethnogens and psychedelics. Through DMT, people experience these, um, or psilocybin, um, what Terrence McKenna calls machine elves. And if you're taking psilocybin, with little elves. Oh, yeah. Uh, machine, yeah. yeah, okay, you know what I mean? Little ma- machine elves, little out of, you know, machine like mechanistic elves. And so, and that's like an attribute or property of, of particularly of psilocybin. But DMT has a different signature. It has what's called the, the chrysanthemum. You go through this kaleidoscopic chrysanthemum that goes upwards. And you can have like millions of clown faces spinning in a perfect fractalized Mandelbrot set of perfection. The vivid colors, 10,000 times more vivid than anything you've seen. And a perfect Fibonacci series of Mandelbrot unfolding fractalized you know, so that's the chrysanthemum of the DMT um, popping. It's called popping. Uh, okay, so it's, some people talk about going to outer space on DMT, and they're, they're meeting entities, and, and, they, and they call them aliens. Okay, so what are we dealing with? Whether it's DMT or ayahuasca or a paranormal experience, or you're seeing dead loved ones, or um, um, alien contact, you know. Again, it's all the same thing in terms of it's whether it's interdimensional or whether it's um, something bleeding through from an interdimensional portal, you know, bleeding through to our um, three dimensions, coming from a fourth or a fifth dimension, like in that movie by Christopher Nolan called Interstellar, where they go into a black hole to access the fifth dimension of time. And they access, you know, a bookshelf through a fifth dimension. I mean, it doesn't matter. What we're dealing with is a an accessing of something that's not of the three dimensional realm. And when it's, it's important to also know that while um, you know certain individuals, mm-hmm. p- perhaps somebody like uh, Timothy Leary or Terrence McKenna, were telling people go out and do these do these drugs, these psychedelics, have a great experience. You'll become enlightened. You'll connect with the Earth Spirit stuff like that. While they were while while they were going out there talking about this stuff, um, the, the actual people that have a history of use with these chemicals. They would say, no, don't be reckless with them. When you do this, you, you should actually have some sort of protection because we run into these demonic entities all the time. Well, if, if, there, was a, if there was a tarot card that was, and, and there's not, but if there was called the genius fool, because, you know, the tarot has the gesture, and um, if there was one called the genius fool, that would be Terrence McKenna. And I've studied a lot of Terrence McKenna. Because he's a genius in his ability to form thoughts and to create concepts. I mean, absolutely linguistic master. And he always had this kind of, he had a, a nasally slow draw. He was like, um, and the, the bipedal hominids ingested this dimethyltryptamine. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you, well done, well done. <laughs> is, yeah, I just, and in the, in the, the canopies of Africa, the bipedal hominids ingested these dimethyltryptamines, and their visual acuity was enhanced. And so it makes sense that these things were used for the expansion of the neocortex. <laughs> it's just like a little, he's like, it's all nasally and crisp and perfect and flow. He's always stoned. He's stoned his entire life. And so, you know, it's like, 
wow, spoken words of wisdom from the ultimate stoner or the ultimate tripper. And so what he did is he um, he revealed what I call hyperspace. And so I kind of was involved in this a long time ago in college. Um, there was like, um, I didn't study Terrence McKenna back then, but there was Charles Tart, who wrote a book called Altered States of Consciousness by Charles Tart, um, kind of a compendium on altered states and paranormal. Uh, Timothy Leary, obviously, uh, Tom Wolfe, The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test, uh, The Doors of Perception in Heaven and Hell by Oddless Suxley. And then I read all the Carlos Castaneda stuff, Journeys to Ixlan, Lessons of Don Juan. Um, and what we were doing in college, experiment, experimenting with ethnogens, psychedelics, mescaline, um, psilocybin, LSD, um, what else? Mescaline, peyote. Okay, and then so we were mapping out the hyperspace terrain inside our mind. You know, th- this is the secret knowledge. This is where I got into it, you know, New Age. The secret knowledge inside the mind. Uh, Greg, paranormal. Greg, uh, you know I, what I mean? And, I hate to interrupt yeah. you, but uh, I, I do have a caller here on the line. I, I believe they may have a question for you. Caller, are you there? Yeah. Hello. Oh, hey there, buddy. What's going well, on, gentlemen? Well, looking at a I was, few different things. Go ahead. Oh, I was just out here listening to the show. Uh, made a couple points I had to call in on. Um, how, how you doing, Greg? Not too bad. You know, trying to look Not at um, trying to look at things from a few different angles. But yeah, how are you doing? I'm so good. I mean, not too bad, maybe, you know, in between so good and not too bad. Yeah, good. It's hotter it, It's hotter than hell where I live, so that's kind of rough. Yeah. So um, you have a question? Oh, oh yeah, a uh, question. On the on Jesus, um, you, you cling so strongly to Jesus. Um, which 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 part? Uh, uh, which Jesus? Is there a group that you're like representing a certain pre- uh, perspective from the Bible or Jesus that that you're, you're clinging to? Okay. Are you well, Catholic? Look at are you born again? Are you just a free oh, 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 loving oh, Jesus person? Oh, are you Mormon? I see. Is it a Catholic thing or is it? Uh, no, I, I don't really identify with any religion. No, just Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I don't think. Okay, when, I, when you say Jesus, do you mean do you mean the the, the Jesus as described in the Bible? Well, see, this this dialectic could go on for days. And that's why I tell people I'm not a Bible scholar because this turns into um, the the validity and legitimacy of the Aramaic Bible versus Greek. Which which Bible do you use? Are we talking Old versus New Testament? Um, is it Jesus or Yeshua? I mean, there's no end to where this conversation will go. Well, well, no but I'm to- saying which which Jesus would you point people to go look at or read? What, where I would, would point you people, point people? I, I, I would, I would point, well, I mean, the Bible pretty clearly talks about the idea of you are a sinner and you, you have one life. There is no way to overcome it. And so you, you have a choice. You can just you know, die and, and just blow it off 
So, and so, so you have a handful of basic concepts that Jesus described, and you're clean okay. to those. Not any particular book, not any particular faith or religion. Well, everything, everything, I'm saying, is, everything I'm saying is in the Bible. I'm just talking about if you encounter the Luciferian energy and topic which, and you look which, into it. Which Bible are you talking about? I'm not, again, I'm not going to do the Bible scholar thing where I'm endorsing the King James versus the Aramaic versus the whatever. That's not see, that this whole thing that people get involved in. But to me, it's a diversion. It's a distraction. Because what I'm trying to talk about is the Luciferian darkness that's real. And whether you're studying transhumanism, artificial intelligence, quantum mysticism, CERN, HARP, the New World Order, I don't care what, it leads to the same conclusion. We have a Luciferian apotheosis doctrine so, that has so rooted... You bounce, and it, so you're bouncing off of the Luciferians, you're bouncing off the Luciferian doctrines, coming back to your Jesus readings and putting that together as the view and your salvation that you should cling to. This is the obvious conclusion is what I'm saying. If you study these things... You are left with a choice. You, because transhumanism will not let you go. It's, when it gets you by the throat, which is, it's getting, with 5G, it's all ramping up. The world will not have liberty to just, uh, you know, do a Sunday Bible reading. There, there's a choice. You have, you see, what I'm talking about is a technological mysticism. It's a spiritual, techno-spiritual warfare. There will be a time whether you survive to get to this time or whether I, I can't tell. But the ramping up of technology is being positioned in such a way where you will be forced to enter into these Ready Player One um, neuro-linking technologies, in which case you will never get out. Okay, so you will be forced to make a choice. You either well, Greg, go into I, I'm not arguing. I'm not arguing with you that 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 this this system you're talking about exists and that they're trying to bring that in. The only thing that I'd argue about is what exactly sits behind all of this, and and hmm. I just, what I'm saying is you I'm have a well, what I'm saying is you have, you'll have a choice, okay? And the choice is to, and this is brutal, but the choice will be um, you accept these Luciferian transhumanistic AI-driven technologies. If you don't, you will be executed. There, there, see, what I'm talking about is a very dark thing. It's not, I'm not, this is not science fiction. This is all the way exists, it, but I don't, all that exists, but I don't understand how, how Jesus keeps being in the background as our well, salvation what I, well, what, from it. What I'm, what I'm saying is that if you look at the full context, see, if, if you look at it in a myopic vacuum, then everything I'm saying sounds ridiculous. I'm talking, I'm asking you and anyone else to look in a, to have the perspicacity to look in the panoramic view here. We've got an, an entire agenda brewing. It's not just Luciferian technologies. No, there is a reason that they're creating this new world order. It's not just to get, you know, power on earth. They are trying to get the souls of man. That, all these technologies aren't designed to entrap your body. Did you realize that? The technologies that they're creating, they're not designed to ensnare your flesh or your body. 
They're they're yeah. actually designed to they're they're designed to ensnare interdimensionally your soul. So just look at the whole totally. picture. You've got you've got a a powerful entity rising to to trap your soul. Um, the other side, I mean, this would make no sense unless you have a, another side, and the other side is a entity trying to save you from that situation. So I'm just telling people, you have a choice. You can have faith in Christ. I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying it's your choice, or you but can be. Greg, yeah, Greg, don't you realize a long time ago, governments, corrupt governments, and and, and countries and powers use these systems to control people mentally as psyops. You realize? No, no, no. That's Christianity. You're, you're, that, that's a half truth because what you, if you really think about that. Because Christianity doesn't lead to slavery; it leads to the um, actually the rejection of the world. See, people have that that misconception that Christianity was used as as Frederick Nietzsche talks about in uh, the Antichrist, in in the Will to Power. Frederick Nietzsche talks about the idea of Christianity being a slave morality that it's only invented to the submission of people to keep them submitted in the, under the government. If you actually look into Christianity, it's the opposite. There is nothing in Christianity that forces you to submit. Yeah, I, to I, the world. I didn't say I, I didn't say that you know it was invented to do that, but it was overtaken by the Roman Empire. Okay, well that's and but we're not going to do the official religion. I, I'm just saying governments and countries have done this for okay, but that, millennia. That has nothing that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about. There's nothing you're talking about Constantine and Catholicism and yeah. Catholicism. Yeah. Yeah, and and that that's the history of that. And that we can go on again forever about how Catholicism was the whore of Babylon to um inter to infiltrate Christianity and to destroy it from within. Um and, and I agree with you if, if you're making that point. What I'm talking about it just is that there is the choice to be made now. And so you it will be simple. You choose these technologies, or they will kill you. That there is no third option. That you will be executed. And so, if you choose, you know, to not to reject these technologies, and to not embrace Christian spirit, I don't know what, what, what about, will happen to you. What about countries and people that'll never get the chance to see the Bible, hear the Christ message? Children in other countries, parts of the world. I think the I think the Bible has all kinds of information about like those that are innocent of the Christ. I mean, as a kid, you hear these stories that that those people are um, saved by their admission of their own sin. Like if you if you understand that you're if you you don't have to understand you don't have to ever heard about have ever heard about Christ to know that you have frailties and sins. There's people that have never heard of Christ that walk around a very humble in their sin. They don't call it sin because they never even heard the word sin. So I don't think you have to know about Christ, per se, like the word Christ. I don't think it's even about that. It's like you know you have sins that cannot be overcome and that you need God. Okay, so whether you use the word Christ or Jesus or Yeshua, I think that's all semantic bullshit. I, I never believed in any of that. I think it's more about the spirit of Christ. If you understand that you cannot if you if you know that you need God and that God created you, which is basic logic, that's basic kindergarten logic that a creator created the creation. And so if you understand that, that you are accountable 
to your creator. That's I me. just find it. I I just in Greg in the span of time, and I'm just gonna, I won't keep you much longer. And I appreciate yeah, you Todd, putting up with Todd, me. Todd, we're we're gonna need to uh, with ra- you. Todd, we're gonna need to wrap up this call. It's going a little yeah, long, so if you yeah. can kind of wrap it up. Yeah, sorry. I, I'll end here, Greg. With uh, yeah, I appreciate you putting up with me arguing with you a little bit, but in the no, no, I don't. I, I don't mind arguing. The, the one thing is that um, it's a good thing not to go over like ground that's been gone over. <laughs> you know, I hear you, but I'm just saying it in the span of time, and I'll I'll end. Uh, so many religions and faiths and lives and and realities have have occurred to to say that that that's the answer right now at this time. People people that can't open their mind to just universal sort of truths outside of a conscripted religion um, are missing, missing a, a big picture too, a big part of the... Well, the universal, the, uni- the universal truth, and that's a code for the New Age, the universal truth is that it's a pantheistic universe, there's just the universe, and you should just love your brother and neighbor, okay? That is the Luciferian teaching, that's the universal truth. And I'm, I'm, I'm letting you know. Choose it if you want. It ends up in the soul through transhumanistic technology in this loving your brother lost forever. So it, it, you choose. I'm not telling what you have to do. I'm just saying that's the game. The universal truth is the Luciferian gospel. And if you want to choose it, by all means, choose it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I appreciate your time, Greg. Yeah. Uh, you guys always have good, a good always, evening now. Always good talking to you. That was fun, my man. Take care. Right on. Take care. Take care. Thank you. Peace. Thanks, Todd. Yeah. Hey there. Yeah. um, Todd, he's he's coming from a a Mormon background, and uh, yeah, yeah. I've had I've had many many debates with him about uh, things like Christ and and uh, you know faith and stuff like that. I think that his perspective is unique and valuable, but I, hopefully that wasn't a little too argumentative for you. <laughs> no, I, I've talked to him before, remember? And see, I, he, he's not raising anything new. The reason I get a little abrupt is because I don't want to go over too much uh, rehash old ground. Like, there's not much time in life to rehash old stuff, especially on a radio show. Like, you want to be breaking some new ground for people. Because we've all heard it all. We, we've heard it all. And people need to get, uh, not necessarily that everything has to be new, but they need to, like, they need enrichment. They don't need to be, like, rehatching the stuff that you can you can Google on the Internet. Like, oh, yeah, what is the different religions and what do they believe? And was war started by constant, you know, these are things that you can Google search. And that's, I'm not here to be a Google search. That's why I was kind of, like, trying to clip them there. Um, but the idea of there being a, quote, universal religion, and, and by the way, at the end, he's obviously very extremely respectful person. I mean, he's very decent and polite and respectful um, the entire time, especially at the end there. So I have no problems talking to Todd. Um, but the universal religion is the Luciferian religion. And people often talk about, why, why do I, every age has its own Messiah and every age, but that's not true. That's the zeitgeist lie. The zeitgeist movie, it's not true. The, the sun religions and Horus 
and you know the, the idea that they were repackaged and Christianity is just a repackaging of Mithras and Zoroastrianism. It, it's not true. It's not true. And this is something so, that it, I absolutely did want to talk about because I've been going through my own little kind of uh, personal journey here because I totally bought into just exactly what you said. Uh, I was reading certain articles. People were telling me things. Oh, Jesus, he was... Uh, he was a uh, Horus from uh, right. ancient Egypt, or he was the 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 Phrygian, uh, something to do with the ancient religion of from a place called Phrygia. It's completely ripped off. But um, what what I came to find it recently was that that's actually the deception that there is. There was a guy named Josephus who very clearly said that there was a man named Jesus that walked on the earth and he was an actual historian for Rome. So actually denying that Jesus was a historical figure is more of a conspiracy theory. Yeah, see, I went through the same process you went through. And that's the reason I know so much about this is because I was vexed for a long time. I thought, oh, cr Christianity is just a deception, you know? And I read a lot of Nietzsche. Nietzsche's kind of powerful. For a, for a while, I was reading Nietzsche. You know, Nietzsche wrote The Antichrist, Hammer of the Gods, The Will to Power. I mean, he's pretty much the defender of Satan. And Nietzsche was going to be a Christian priest, by the way, if you knew that. So... I was really hooked by this whole thing that it's just a repackaging of Egyptian Babylonian religion. Uh, so I had to, I stumbled across the Zeitgeist movie Debunked and some Chris White did some stuff. I just started looking into it. Uh, so looking at Constantine and I started to realize, oh, wait a minute. Just what you said. The deception was the uh, covering up of Christianity and making it seem as if it was the deception. And of course, I think the Bible talks about this idea that, you know, people will be deceived. People, you know, everything that we're talking about has been talked about in this book called the Bible. It's all there. I, and again, I'm not a Bible scholar. <laughs> I, I, I try to be clear to people. I'm not a Bible scholar. But um, I do know that a lot of these things were spelled out by the Bible. Yeah, and um, I, I do think that uh, Todd did make one very good point. Uh, what he said about about Rome uh, kind of taking over the, the teachings of Christ because it seems to be that's exactly what they did. And that's something yeah, you said during our last interview that that actually Jesus's teachings were, uh, I like to use the word inverted. It's almost like because his presence on this earth was so powerful, the forces of evil out there, they had, it's like a chess game. They had to make some kind of counter move. Yeah, what people say, they absorbed the pagan religions into the Catholic Church so that they could get the pagans and the Christians into their big party called Catholicism, right? That's the story we hear. Um, others have posited that Constantine made up the divinity of Christ and ratified this new theology at the Council of Nicaea. Um, Bible writers in their works predate Constantine, so that kind of throws that out. You know, the idea that Constantine just made it all up based on a amalgamation of Egyptian Babylonian religions and then they just packaged it and so you know it's hard to wade most people can't wade through all that it's just too complex and it's too deceptive but basically what you find is that Christianity predated Constantine um, and it's kind of like the whole thing was going not in a church 
And so then you have the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and all of these stories from the Bible start to make sense historically. Uh, again, I'm not a Christian scholar, but you can look this up. But a lot of these stories that we hear about the Sadducees and the Pharisees were actually real historic situations. And um, it was a battle for uh, the Christian faith, you know, to change it, to interpret it, um, how to guide and how to make people submit to it instead of it freeing them. And that's what Todd was suggesting that, you know, that you hear this all the time, that Christianity is like, um, like Frederick Nietzsche said, it's a slave morality. It it's a, makes people submit. But there's nothing in Christianity that makes you submit. Nothing. If anything, you reject the entire world. I mean, Christianity is the biggest enemy of the state ever put. Why do you think Christ was killed? He was going against the Jewish Talmudic Pharisees. And that is the um, synagogue of Satan. That is the New World Order. Yeah, and I, I, I love that because I was just thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about the story of Jesus being in the temple and there were a bunch of like tax collectors or money changers. Uh, anyway, they were dealing with something to do with money. And he walked right up to them and he said, you know, this has no place in, in, in a temple. A temple is supposed to be for spirituality. And he, he straight up dumped their tables over. And that's the, the idea of usury. Um, you know, usury was one of the greatest sins because you're exploiting your brother. You're getting, you're charging interest on a loan. So, you know, the Christians were for, forbidden from practicing usury. The only ones that could practice usury were the Jews. And so they had a a bench that they practiced usury. It was called a banco, the B-A-N-C-O, banco. Um, that's where we get the word bank. So, I mean, I'm not going to get into a Jewish thing on the radio, but... <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> I mean, it's like there's two things. I have a joke that whatever you're forbidden to talk about is true. You've heard me say that before. And there's two things you can't talk about ever. One, the earth is flat. Two, the Jews run the world. <laughs> so those are the two things you can't talk about. But again, it's, as Christ said, the Jews that are not Jews. And, you know, I have friends that are Jewish and they're, they, have, they know nothing of what I'm talking about. The Ashkenazi... Khazarians are what they infiltrated the Judaic religion, and they, they call themselves Jews. They're not really Jews. That's why Christ said, the Jews that are not Jews, you know, the synagogue of Satan. And Hitler said the same thing, by the way. <laughs> Hitler said, you know, the Jews that are not Jews. <laughs> and it, I, I'm not trying to equate Hitler with Christ here, but... <laughs> They said the same thing. Yeah, in Hitler, Hitler. <laughs> What's funny about I'm, that? I'm is, yeah, just exactly like what? you say. I mean, if there's anything that that paints Hitler in even the smallest little bit of a positive light, at least in the sense that he was aware of certain things going on, you actually see it deleted off the internet. Oh, I know. That's why I have to kind of laugh after I say it, right? That, that Hitler actually saw um, that there was a synagogue of Satan. There was a um, infiltration of the Judaic religion. I, I don't know if he knew it to that depth, and he saw this entity, these Khazarians, these Khazarian warriors, who had infiltrated Judaism and called themselves Jews um, as a threat to Germany. And they were. They were destroying Germany. And so he wanted them out. 
And so there's a, uh, the story gets bigger because you have Zionism who wanted to move the Jews from Germany to Palestine. And so they shared a similar agenda. And there's a coin that's been minted in the 1945 that on one side it has a swastika and the other side it has the Zionist Star of David. Well, why would the Jews and the Nazis be working together? Because they were working together. It was the Zionist Jews who ran the concentration camps. It was the Jews who genocided the religious Jews, the Zionist Jews, the Jews who were not Jews, who had the religious Jews genocided. It wasn't Hitler. Okay, now, that's enough to get me, you know, thrown in jail, right? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, and then I'm not saying Hitler was innocent. Hitler was kind of a stooge. He was a pawn. He was in a bigger game. Hitler was a pawn in a bigger Zionist Ashkenazi game. He didn't know what he was really into. I'm not convinced he was understanding what was going on. He was like a mad dog. Um, but I think he was really trying to build up Germany. And, and he said many times he didn't want to go into war. I mean, multiple speeches, letters, where he said, I do not want war. It was Britain and the Freemasonic Churchill who wanted war. It was Rothschilds who paid or used the Balfour Declaration in the First World War. They wanted war. The bankers wanted war. Hitler did not want war. He wanted people to get out of Germany. But anyway, without getting too much into that history, it's very controversial. It's a lot to dig into to figure it out. Um, but to bring it back to what you're talking about is Constantine and Christianity and um, the synagogue of Satan and the Pharisees. All of this stuff is biblically underpinned historically, but very difficult to figure out. So people end up thinking that Christianity is the problem, that it is this... Um, control system that makes people weak and makes government strong when it's just the opposite. Like you said, they invert the story. If there's anything that would free you, it's the idea that you shouldn't follow the, the world and then your salvation is through the morality of Christ. If I want to make you weak, Daniel, I'll get you into porn. If I want to make you weak, I'll get you into drugs. If I want to make you weak, I'll get you into larceny and violence and betrayal. But if I want to make you strong, I will push morality. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not lie. I'll push morality at you, which will make you strong. Okay, so Christianity makes people strong, but it makes people separate from the state. It makes people not um, really submit to the state. So don't tell me Christianity is the slave morality. But it's been used that way, and Todd was correct in assuming that or stating that. It has been used that way by religions to make people submit to authority. It's been used that way. So there is, it's a half-truth. It, it, again, it's complex to figure out, but my position wasn't to even talk about the historical analysis of Christianity. It was just to mention that you study Luciferianism, and it leads to this choice of you can choose the technologies or reject them and they will kill you, in which case you just die, or you can have faith in the counterpoise, which would be Christ. And yeah, it's faith. Yeah, the, there's there's definitely um, some truth to the idea of of religion being being control. But uh, what what I find interesting is just 
just the other day, yesterday, somebody was getting a little bit of an argument with me about um, something I said about Jesus. He he did not agree with my perspective on things, and he was getting very upset and angry and telling me, "I'm hey, I'm not a true, you're not a true Christian unless you accept this way because this is what it actually says in the Bible." And I just couldn't help but think to myself. Boy, this is ridiculous. You'd think this gentleman would be happy that I even uh, believe in Christ or, or I acknowledge his existence. Instead, he's getting angry at me because I don't agree with his take. Well, have you noticed it's become um, more of an intellectual battle than a battle of the heart or spirit? Have you noticed that? Yes. It's more of like, what is your interpretation? Like Todd's, are you Mormon? Are you Catholic? Are you Episcopalian? You know, it's more like an intellectual um, battle. And who is the master of intellectual fire? Is it Christ? No. That doesn't mean Christ is dumb, but it's not Christ. It's Lucifer. See, all these legalese, the pharisaical legalese that you're just you're talking about there, the Pharisees, the Talmudic, Talmudic, pharisaical, legalese, law, you know, the law, um, this is the Luciferian game to get people um, more interested in the intellectual understandings of things than to actually have the spirit of humility. Because I mean, do you, do you really think that if I, in my mind, I say Christ is my Messiah, that that's accepting Christ? I, I doubt it. I think me understanding that I. I'm a complete wretch. <laughs> it's like amazing grace, you know, um, saving a wretch like me. The, the fact that I acknowledge that I'm a com- an utter wretch and incapable of overcoming my sin at all, that to me, that's accepting Christ. I don't, I don't think I ever have to have heard of the word Christ to accept Christ. I'm not convinced it's an intellectual game of, of nomenclature and... Um, semantics. Did you use the right name, Daniel? Did you say Jesus or Yeshua? <laughs> I, I've never been convinced that that's what it's about. I think it's a spirit. I don't think it's a word game at all. Yeah, I, I think it's important to to look at what what Jesus was saying and what he was doing and how he lived his life instead of uh, where he fits into the spiritual hierarchy or or how we should how we should uh, worship or if we should worship at all i think it's much more important to look at the fact that th- this man was living a completely unselfish existence and devoting his whole life to teaching others and coming up with some stories seemingly on the fly that could actually change a person's consciousness and change their entire life and existence you have to have experiences like you know when I talk about humility, I'm not saying I'm Mr. Humble. I mean, I, I'm not trying to be humble. I'm just being humbled by what I'm learning. And so I, I'm trying to express with words what I'm talking about. It's, it's a spiritual thing, like, like techno-spiritual warfare. It's not just, oh, well, I logically see that Luciferianism is a dark road, so there must be a way out. You know, that's, that's only half the game. Most of it is um, the emotional, spiritual travail and trauma that um, anyone, myself, are going through that that leads you to faith in Christ. 
it's not intellectual. I mean, I'm as intellectual as people, um, you know, probably anyone wants to get. And that didn't lead me to Christ. That led me to Lucifer. My intellect led me to Luciferian occultism. That's what it led me to. It was only realizing um, kind of like the more sinful in- incapability, spiritual, emotional crushing that that turned me to not intellectually understand, but to actually spiritually go, oh, wow. It's kind of like, say you were an alcoholic, and then alcohol was destroying your life, and then you're you're going to go, like, drink alcohol that night, and, and if you drink any more, like, one more week, and you're going to die. Is it an intellectual decision to not drink? Or is it an actual, like, a, emotional uh, gestalt-changing, life-changing understanding to your core where you go, wow, I, this is where alcoholics go to uh, programs. They go, I cannot overcome this. When they finally realize, after like trying for 12 years and failing, they cannot do it. And then they seek out, you know, there's the higher power and they have like sponsors and they, you know, they try to get out. So that, I think that's the, a good metaphor for the, uh, sin. You, you reach a point where you cannot get out. And I, and I think New Agers, because they think there's no sin, they're doing a lot of promiscuous sex and orgies and um, drugs and adulteries and you know, transgender mixing partners. And there's so much sexuality and deceit and lying that they just say it's okay, you know, um, that there's no pangs of of um, guilt to lead them to Christianity until they reach a point where they're like lying in the gutter puking up and maybe hemorrhaging from some drug they took and they go you know maybe I'm wrong it takes like alcoholics or new agers it may take it may take AIDS for a new ager to go you know maybe promiscuous sex and doing uh, Alistair Crowley do us that wilt Maybe that's wrong. Maybe there's a right and wrong. And so it's kind of like a groundbreaking revelation that people go through, whether they're alcoholics or whether they're in the New Age or, you know, could be a bank robber, where they kind of turn away from their sin and go, oh, wow, I was wrong, and I'm going to die. Like, I need to think it up. You know, I'm just saying it's, a, it's not an intellectual process at some point. It's also interesting, you, you did bring up Nietzsche, and Nietzsche's yeah. teachings were very, uh, you know, I, I very briefly and, and half-assedly read one of his books, and uh, you know, read about him a bit during my youth when I, I got mildly interested in him for a little while, but the the types of ideas and philosophies that he's he was pushing, uh, God is dead, and uh, you know, it's it's all just it, nothing really matters sort of idea. It, it leads to uh, something called nihilism, and I, I believe yeah. that nihilistic mentality. I believe that it's very dangerous and destructive because it, it really makes you feel like everything is kind of pointless. Well, you have to remember, um, all, there's a nexus point between all of these things. The more you look into it, between all of these philosophies, evolutionary theory, Frederick Nietzsche. Um, Hitler and the Reichstag, um, Darwinism, they all intersect. And they're, and they're all kind of Freemasonically connected. It's not just like Nietzsche came out of nowhere. and um, he, was, he was kind of at the spearheading this 
kind of atheistic nihilism that you're talking about. But he was looking at Christianity and he was saying, oh, it's a slave morality. So he was kind of like going back to ancient Gnostic ideas. He wrote a book called Thus Spoke Zarathustra. Um, and he's looking at what's called the Uberman, the, the Ubermensch. He was German, so Mensch means man. Ubermensch. And the Uberman, which Hitler studied Nietzsche, the, you know, the Superman, the Aryan Superman, um, was the idea of becoming a godman. So Nietzsche was talking about apotheosis. You see how it all connects all of a sudden? Hmm. Yeah, interesting. He, yeah, yeah. He, he wrote a book called The Antichrist. Nietzsche did. He wrote a book called Hammer of the Gods. Um, and so essentially Nietzsche was talking about how um, man is involved in a nihilistic despair, kind of like, like the uh, existentialist Jean-Paul Sartre wrote a book called Nausea. The idea of uh, existential despair, and there, there's no alternative. The only thing that makes sense is to, for, God, for man to rise to the highest level of like aggressive, emotional, intellectual fire the Prometheus. So you, you see how all this is just more repackaged occult bullshit? Even Nietzsche, just the same stuff. Apotheosis through secret knowledge, um, becoming a god-man, and Hitler read it and said, yeah, I'll do the same thing, you know. And then Wagner um, wrote all kinds of things in the same vernacular, you know, symphonies, and then Hitler's cited at his big Reichstag rallies. So you got Wagner and Nietzsche. Oh yeah, they, they love Wagner. The Nazis love Wagner. He was one of their heroes. Yeah, he's he's playing uh, Twilight of the Gods, you know. Yeah. <laughs> His big symphonic operas and the, the Götterdämmerung, um, Tristan and Isolde, you know, all these things blaring up megaphones at these rallies with millions of people and Nazis. I mean, it's a big, big dramatic thing. And the idea was to become a Superman. You know, Hitler was really into this stuff. Aryan. The, the fifth root race from Madame Helena Blavatsky. And he had a copy of The Secret Doctrine by Madame Helena Blavatsky by his bedside. But so you, I'm just trying to show you how all these, um, these dots intersect. Madame Helena Blavatsky's Secret Doctrine, Theosophy, the Thule Society, the Vril Society, Adolf Hitler, the Third Reich, Frederick Nietzsche, Darwinism, Evolutionary Theory, it all... It's the same Luciferian techno technological indoctrination to Gnostic uh, secret knowledge to, um, to, to gain apotheosis, a god-man. It's all the same. You see how many different forms this has been taking throughout the years? Why it's so hard for people to escape it? Because you turn around and there's a new philosophic doctrine to, to trap you. Yeah, that, that's very true. Um... The, the, when you think about it that way, it, it, it is very much tied together. The fact that Blavatsky, that Hitler would re, had have a book by Blavatsky, and then Blavatsky's um, her protege Alice Bailey and and her connections mm -hmm. to the United Nations. It's really scary when you look at all the facts and connect the dots. But everything's connected, and it's not necessarily um, people say, "Oh, you think it's a big conspiracy." Um, no, it's just called secret societies with an agenda. Like, if Daniel, if I said, you know, it's a conspiracy that they meet in a boardroom at IBM to discuss their computers. <laughs> no, they do. <laughs> they meet 
to discuss their business. It's not a secret conspiracy. You know, um, Bohemian Grove, the Bilderberg Group, the CFR, the Trilateral Commission, the Council of 300, the Council of 500, the Council of Rome, the Bloodlines of the 13 Illuminati. They're all interconnected, Freemasons, Rosicrucians, Vatican Jesuits. It's all connected. And yes, they do fight amongst each other. They're not always in agreement. But the agenda remains consistent. Apotheosis through secret knowledge. Luciferian. And when people when people tell me the Illuminati stuff is foil hat stuff and, and they say it's fake, et cetera, et cetera, I always tell them, just go on freaking Wikipedia, look up the Bavarian Illuminati, look up this this guy, Adam Weishaupt, and look into the things that he said. He 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 admitted that what he was doing was abusing secret societies and trying to create this Illuminati. It's not fiction. It's fact. Yeah. It's on Wikipedia. It's like, it, 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 that's why I, I don't. I try not to have those arguments like with Todd. It was kind of cutting him off in a way. I was like, I don't like to have those mundane arguments that are that are Google searches. <laughs> you know, some things are just simple things like Adam Weishaupt in 1776, May 1st, started the Illuminati. And they wrote an Illuminati treaties. It got intercepted by the French government. It exposed them. They had to go underground. Adam Weishaupt was a uh, canon, um, Ingolstadt canon, um, Jesuit canon professor, you know, canon law, a Jesuit in a Jesuit university. Ingolstadt was a Jesuit. So I mean, all these things connect. Jesuit, Adam Weishaupt, Illuminati, forced to go underground, they infiltrated the Freemasons. And, and who, was, who was funding yeah, Adam Weishaupt, but Rothschild? Well, Rothschild, theoretically, and it makes sense, Rothschild is the guy or the, the family that kind of funded all of this. You know, they wanted to um, protect their interests, right, their usury, so they created uh, an, an amalgamation of all the secret knowledge possible from the East the Knights Templar brought it over, and the Jesuits had it. Because so, you have to think of the, you know, the Templar, Knights Templar brought it back. The Jesuits had all that knowledge, and the Jesuits were sponsoring Adam Weishaupt <laughs> to create the Illuminati. Okay, so it's not really a conspiracy. It's just history. And the end result was, um, like, the Illuminati infesting the Freemasons, and they live with inside it. So, yeah, these things are just Google searches. So you shouldn't even argue this with people. You just go Google it. And that does beg another question that I, I wanted to ask you. Uh, we During our last two interviews, we talked a bit about the future and things that might come to pass, things that will come to pass. My question is, uh, there's these things called the uh, uh, George's Guidestones, guide and there were also uh, different documents released uh, that, that may be fake, may be real, but basically what it says is that one of the Illuminati's plans is to eventually eradicate a large percentage of the population. Uh, what would you say to that, Greg? Is that more disinformation and lies, or do they really need to call a great number of us in order to create their new age? Well, yeah, that, again, this is pretty basic stuff. The, the Georgia Guidestones, it's a granite monument, unveiled in 1980. Um, I think it's situated in 
Elbert County. It's about 100 miles east of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, there's a giant, mysterious Stonehenge-like monument, like 20 feet high. Um, six, six granite slabs. Each one weighs 240,000 pounds. And um, it's, it has engraved in multiple languages the 10 rules and ideals for, quote, age of reason, unquote. And we're getting back to Lucifer, reason, intellect. It's called the age of reason. Uh, so the age of faith, like faith in Christ, is being destroyed. And on the guidestones, it says, maintain humanity under 500 million. In perpetual balance with nature. So you got the global warming agenda, the United Nations. So essentially, the guidestones suggest that Okay, well, well, let's just do the math. Seven, um, 7.5 billion people, roughly, in the world, and only 500 million to remain. Well, how many have to die? And that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with the United Nations, um, Agenda 21, and they're going to use sustainability as a ruse for depopulation. So sustainable development... And when it's closely scrutinized, it's nothing other than genocidal depopulation with a new age environmental twist. That's all it is. You know, sustainable development. And there's a genocide in the world with a, uh, using environmental reasons. That's all it is. And there's Agenda 230, I believe, and, you know, they just keep making up these agendas for controlling properties. And eventually all of America will be under Agenda 21, um, sustainability. Uh, environmental doctrines where you, you pretty much will live in a super stacked city. It will be stacked in New York and you can't go anywhere or stacked in Chicago. Like that's all there's all the land will belong to the elites. So yeah, that's agenda 21. That's the Georgia, Georgia guidestones. That's a real thing. Yeah. I just, I can't help but wonder if, if that is indeed something that would be necessary to create their, their uh, techno-pagan paradise that they have planned, uh, they, they do probably need at least a few of us around to be their slaves and maintain the machines. Well, I think the idea of having slaves is, you know, if they push for this robotics, uh, it's kind of like they're getting all their ducks in a row. Um, first of all, they're using all of our power since Egypt, like as slave power, to build the world that they want. Well, their agenda now is to destroy the world. They're going to make it seem as if the world is so... Well, then, you know, of course, you've got uh, Operation Blue Beam, you've got the fake alien invasion, you've got wars, you've got famine, you've got chemtrails, you've got death, you've got starvation, you've got 5G. I mean, it's all, like, going off at once. Everything. So it's so bad that people will beg for this new world order. That That's the idea. And so they'll beg for, like... um global warming environmental quarantine. They'll say, oh, yeah, that's right. We need to save all of Arizona uh, because of some situation. And they'll just keep convincing people until they're all in these little tiny cities. But ultimately, I don't think the game is to, like, have very many people left. They really want to kind of, like, auto um, make everything automatic and have these, um, what is it, Venus, the Venus Project from Zeitgeist, these Venus Project-like things, or um, in Kazakhstan, there's Estonia. If you look up Estonia, it's a, a futuristic city with pyramids, 
you know, Illuminati pyramids. They want to have these cities that are so well-run and so well-oiled and automated. They just don't really need too much more slave labor. Like, they already got it all, all built. Like, once they destroy through war, they destroy Iran and Iraq and destroy Afghanistan and destroy Libya and just destroy everything. They'll just rebuild it for their own. Um, and then they just will kill everyone that's left. This won't need anybody. <laughs> this is not headed towards having a slave class even. It's like having nobody left, really. Yeah, there's a lot of – you mentioned Project Bluebeam. There's a lot of interesting YouTube videos and images popping up that seem to show – some type of holographic technology. It might be involved with these white airplanes spreading the chemtrails. Uh, I myself, I have seen, when I was about 18 years old, I saw a very strange anti-gravity craft shaped like a triangle. Uh, didn't seem even big enough for anybody to sit inside. But I suppose my question would be, do these elite, do they have this amazing anti-gravity and visibility free energy technology behind the scenes hidden somewhere? You know, it could be at this stage of the game, like everything is possible. It's like um, a lot of times people say, so are you, you, you're talking about quantum mysticism and occult doctrine and knowledge and rituals and alchemical um, skills and and talents. And they say, so you don't believe any of this is real? Well, no, I, I think it's all real. Um, I mean, some of it more real than others, like how far have they got into artificial intelligence and how far, how much of it is just a, uh, a lie? I, don't, I can't tell you. How much of, is, are there really quarks? You know, Daniel, have you seen a quark? No. Are there really quarks? <laughs> I mean, we're told so many things about, um, uh, is there really uh, billions and billions of light years of outer space? And, I mean, NASA has been proven to be a complete hoax. So it's like, I can't, I, I, I can't tell you what's real and what's not real. They, they've merged everything together so much uh, between occultism and modern science. I call it scientism. Everything is so merged together. The Higgs boson, um, simulation theory, um, artificial intelligence, um, alien aircraft and weaponry. Who knows? I mean, who can sort it out? All What I do know is that all of this secret knowledge and all of this secret um, powers and abilities and all these weaponry and um, aircraft, it, none of it is to benefit the soul of man. It's all to ensnare. It's to create a framework, a, a, a control grid, a techno-mystical control grid where you cannot escape. That much I know. So it doesn't even matter if they have it or not. Like, let's just say they do. Let's just say, like people say, they're 50 years ahead of us. Let's say they are. Let's just, let's just run with that. They have AI. They have quantum uh, computing. Um, they have cloaking. They have um, not interstellar, but, you know, like interstellar in terms of interspace. Like they can go from star to star, but the stars are like 100 miles up. <laughs> you know, it, it's all open domain. Who knows? Yeah, I've even... Uh... I've seen that some stuff about black holes, uh, basically the only thing that we know about them is that there seems to be some strange activity around where we 
think that they exist, but there really is not a shred of evidence or a picture or anything that actually proves the existence of black holes, yet they're such a big part of our understanding of the universe. Yeah, I was going to do a whole thing in the next book about uh, kind of like all the deceptions that we take for granted. I, I, I want to. I don't want to do like an encyclopedia because that gets to just be absurd. I mean, I'd have like 50 pages of conspiracy theories that might be, you know, true or not. But you got a. There's a basic. Um, there's some basic scientism uh, delusions. Um, I call it the, the theory tale. I found a meme that showed the theory tale. It's like evolutionary theory, Big Bang cosmology, gravity, um, and um, outer space being real, um, Newtonian, a lot of Newtonian mechanics, black holes, uh, dark matter, um, gravitational waves. This is the new one, gravitational waves. Um, Dinosaurs. How about that? Dinosaurs. Uh, nuclear power? Are there really nuclear bombs? I mean, I saw some photos of the very first nuclear detonations, and they actually used little 8-inch models. They actually, you know, they were 8- to 12-inch models that they blew over, and then they told us they were photos. I mean, they lied in, in the beginning. So I don't know what's real. I have a wild theory that just about everything that they're, they're saying is real, dinosaurs, atomic energy, you know, nuclear bombs, Black holes, gravity, evolution, none of it's real. Aliens, all fabrication. And the only thing real is that Earth, uh, firmament, a dome, uh, water, water has salt in it, which makes it more electrically conductive. It's electromagnetic Earth with an electrically conductive water, which would control uh, the tides and it, that's really what I believe now. I, I believe in electromagnetics, the earth, a dome, a god, because that's what I can see and prove. All the, everything else is being um, told to me by um, a source that I don't trust. Yeah, very, very true. Uh, especially the thing about the nukes. I've kind of looked into that, and uh, I got so bent out of shape about it, I actually tried to learn how nuclear bombs work and it seems that the, the 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 mechanism from which they work is very obfuscated and basically uh the ex explanation of how a nuclear bomb works is they take two pieces of uranium i think it was and they just slam them together super fast and super hard and to me that doesn't really sound that advanced technological or or scientific it sounds kind of basic stupid and made up yeah, I, 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 and I got, I'm going to put that in the next book, too, because I started looking into the same thing. You know, you know, we go, we have a few nights where we go into a theory just for fun, and I spent a few nights looking into the atomic thing, just like you, and I was like, um, you know, I think this is like that Rush song. You ever heard um, uh, the Manhattan Project, a song by, by Rush? Uh, not specifically, but I do like Rush. Yeah, and, and they, it, one of the lyrics is, um, it's, this is a paraphrase. Like, who would, who would win the win? Who would make the biggest, the biggest stick to win the winning trick? And it's the idea of they just come up with these big stick weaponry ideas so you can intimidate your opponent. You know, like Russia is getting out of hand, so we just we we drop firebombs over Nagasaki because that's all it was. They they weren't nuclear. I mean, there was plants growing within a week. <laughs> 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 either, either radiation is a hoax. 
I mean, w- what is it? Is radiation the hoax? Is nuclear weapons the hoax? Are they both the hoax? Uh, there's a guy with a video who ate cobalt-60. He ate uranium. He, he put it in his mouth and chewed it up. He goes, it's all a lie. It's nothing harmful. I mean, so I'm not convinced that radiation, it's like, um, you know, that radiation is even real. It's kind of like the movie with Tom Cruise called um, Oblivion. And um, they're not supposed to go to the outer radiation belt part, not, not the Van Allen, but on the Earth. There was like a, a dystopian uh, film about a war. And then there's radiation outside of the zone. And you're not supposed to go outside there because there's radiation. At one point in the film, he flies out to that place and realizes there's no radiation. Well, it could be that this atomic bomb thing and radiation, um, it, it's all a hoax. I mean, there may be radiation from Chernobyl for some reason, but I've heard people say that all radi- all um, a reactor is, it just heats up water. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, just heating up water. And then if it, if it melts, then, you know, the water's, is not heated up and that's all there is <laughs> but there's no radiation i mean i don't know what to believe I'm, I'm just trying to trying to suggest that a lot of this could just made up stuff yeah and, and, and then the, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the thing of the thing about the h-bomb which is superior to the a-bomb and, and much much larger uh basically they just take more um i'm not sure if it's uranium or something else but they they line the bomb with it they put it on the outside in a shell and just by doing that you can make it like 50 times more powerful again very stupid childish and made up sounding yeah and i think that's what they do is um they just keep making up these stories to intimidate the population because what's been the big scare for the last like 50 years you know atomic war right um it's called MAD, M-A-D, Mutually Assured Destruction. So everyone's like, oh, no, they're, they're threatening nuclear war. Kim Jong-un is going to make a nuclear weapon. We need to destroy Iran so they don't make a nuclear weapon. I mean, it's used as an excuse to destroy countries. But I'm not convinced that there's anything to be afraid of. And so I think they're just using it as an excuse to, um, like General Wesley Clark said, they're going to take over but seven countries in five years, they're just going to say, oh, Afghanistan's going to create nuclear energy, or, or they took down the World Trade Center. Oh, oh now Iran, they're, they're going to create a nuclear weapon, so we need to take... Meanwhile, Israel is said to have like 500 nukes. And like that's allowed to have five. <laughs> you know, like that's okay. They're allowed to have 500 nukes, but Iran can't have anything. That we paid for. It's, 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 no, I'm just going to say Israel has attacked more countries in the past five years than I think any country in the history of the world. Like the greatest terrorist country in the world is Israel. And Iran hasn't attacked a country since like the 1800s. And Israel attacked them like a month ago, and suddenly now we're talking about attacking them. Yeah, Israel attacks, well, and then it goes back to Zionism and the genocide of the Palestine, the Palestinians. And Rothschilds, I mean, this is another whole three hours of talking of Zionism and Rothschild Zionism and how Israel is Rothschild's fiefdom. That's all it is. It's Rothschild's fiefdom. And that Israel is a creation. There was no Israel, um, no country of Israel like a hundred years ago. It's made up. And so Zionism and Israel attacking and then blaming Palestinians and Netanyahu, um, just he's a terrorist is all he is 
And so we have a huge geopolitical situation built on a bunch of fabrication of lies, the threat, the lies of the Palestinians. You know, the Palestinians actually were the Canaanites. They actually live there. That's their country. And so, you know, again, everything I'm saying is taboo, right? You, you can't say the Palestinians. Um, you can't talk about that. You can't talk about the Jewish thing. You can't talk about flat earth. Uh, all these things are over the target too much. There's too much reality when you go down these roads talking about David Icke talks about Rothschild Zionism and he's called anti-Semitic because he talks about this synagogue of Satan you know so these are all controversial issues I don't really belabor these too much I talk more about scientism um, but it's all the same kind of network of uh, deception and earlier you you brought up the fact that at the time Germany was being destroyed and it seems that in, in this day and age, in this very moment, that's exactly what's happening. They, they opened up the floodgates to, to thousands upon thousands of immigrants, and they've completely taken over the country, and um, their culture and society is becoming very obfuscated and uh, very watered down, and it's, it's going to cease to exist at some point. Yes, yeah, a reboot of what happened in Germany. This is, see, it worked. They, this is not the first time, and, and Germany wasn't the first time. The um, Luciferian elite to the Hegelian dialectic, they create a problem, and then there's a reaction, and then they offer the solution. So they created, they flooded Germany with the, um, kind of the Ashkenazi Jewish. Um, it demoralized Germany. It destroyed it, which created, you know, that's a problem. The reaction was uh, the Germans were, you know, depressed and looking for a savior. Um, the solution was Adolf Hitler. So what's the problem in America? Oh, you know, you've got immigrant immigration, which was the issue in Germany, immigration, right? Same issue, immigration, and it's going to cause it's caused a lot of reaction in this by the right wing, especially. And so um, the solution is uh, Trump. You know, Trump's like, okay, well, well, we'll move these people out. Well, Hitler did the same thing. Hitler was the solution. He moved the Jews to Palestine to clean up the country. Well, what is Trump doing? He's cleaning up. He's going to do the same thing as Adolf Hitler. And I'm not saying Trump is nefarious. He's just doing his job in the same way that Hitler was trying to make a better Germany. Trump, indeed, may be trying to make a better um, United States, but he's also fully supporting Zionist Israel, which either places him in suspicion as to his intentions, or he's just the blind um, pawn like Adolf Hitler doing the bidding of Zionist masters. And then you look in the White House and it's flooded with Zionists. I mean, uh, Trump flooded the um, White House with uh, Wall Street Zionists. So, um, yeah, we're screwed. You know, this country doesn't have very many years before it's destroyed. Because what did Hitler do? He built it up and they allowed him to do that. And then they demonized him and destroyed Germany. So the country, America is going through the same thing. We're going to be built up. We may be prosperous for a few years, and then we're going to be in the crosshairs of the world. We're already in the crosshairs. Every country wants to destroy America. And so once this, once the, the resources that America has been getting from Rothschilds, because Rothschilds has been using us, when they shut off those resources because they no longer want us, just like they gave the resources to Germany and Hitler, the Rothschilds brought Hitler to power. That Hitler came to power through Rothschild's money, and Trump came to power through Rothschild's money. He was beholden to Rothschild's because uh, Rothschild's got him out of bankruptcy three times in uh, Reno, 
or Las Vegas, Las Vegas Resorts. So he owes the Rothschilds. And when they stop funding this game called America, we will be um, destroyed. I mean, I don't know when it's going to happen. Does America have two years of prosperity before we're destroyed by Germany? So, again, you know, move out of America or you have a choice to make. Faith in Christ or uh, anything else that you'd like. Universal love. Greg, would it be okay if we took maybe a 10-minute break so I could uh, go take a leak? And then I, I do have a few, a few more questions for you. Perhaps we could come back and do a little bit more. Yeah, do you want to call me back? Uh, sure, yeah. Let's give a chance for your uh, phone to maybe cool down a second and, and uh, kind of reinvigorate, and then we'll come back and, and hit it hard once again. Okay, excellent. I'll wait for the call. Okay, awesome. Talk to you in about 10 minutes. Okay, sounds good. Bye-bye. And welcome back to End of Days Radio. This is Daniel. I'm about to give a call back to my man, Gregory Lessing Garrett. And we're going to go a little bit longer. I'm going to go ahead and dial him now. Let's see, make sure I'm calling the right number. Oh, darn it. Looks like I have to fish it out of my phone again. <laughs> Sorry about that, everybody. I hate to I hate to hold you back with some time-wasting stuff, but hey, sometimes that happens. So let me go ahead and pull out my phone. And it's very cool having having a person like Greg on speed dial. You know, I've, I've actually texted him a few times, just thoughts I was having about different to- topics. So um, something I love about this show is making these connections with people. So I'm going to go ahead and punch his number in and go, and go ahead and give him a call. Hey, Daniel. Hey, Greg. How are you feeling now? Better? Uh, feeling much better. I, I made the mistake of drinking <laughs> a whole bottle of Mountain Dew, and it was just dying to get out after a couple hours. Oh, good. Hey, you know, I, I was thinking of something in the interim. Um, this footage I saw of the nuclear bomb, it was 1950, black and white. There's a mega kiloton nuclear blast, and um, this camera caught the entire thing, right? And the camera was 120 feet from the blast. So, <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> was that <laughs> was that real? This is, you know, ancient technology, right? A camera with film and, you know, fragile little camera, 120 feet away, and it, it caught the entire blast. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's, it's stuff like that that really makes me wonder. And you would think that if, if these weapons were real, and, again, I really don't know. I, I'm not a, a physicist or anything like that. Of course not. But um, just, just going by my own simple logic and reasoning, you would think if they did have these weapons, they would have actual demonstrations here and there. Like, we could probably go somewhere and watch one get lit off. Maybe a small one, just as a sort of a firework to demonstrate the might of these weapons, yet it never happens. Yeah, it's like the Elon Musk, uh, the rocket, uh, the rocket um, um, when they land, you know, like, tail first, which, it's all bullshit. It's a CGI crap. But the, and it's all super far away, so you can't really, you know, verify anything. It, yeah, it's just 
decades and decades of lying that the fellow is like Einstein's relativity. Um, it's like they had, they invented gravity. They invented the big bang, big bang cosmology and evolution. Um, so that you could finally get to a point where there's outer space and the earth came together through random processes. And then the equation started to fall apart with gravity. So they had to keep inventing new stuff, you know, anti-gravity and dark matter, gravitons, and the equations were getting out of their control. So um, the Michelson-Morley experiment, you probably heard of that, the Michelson-Morley experiment proved that the Earth is not spinning. So right after that, Einstein comes out with this relativity theory, which makes it so that the Earth can be spinning because of relativity. So see, Einstein and special relativity, this is more... Um, it's just repackaged Kabbalah. It's all rubbish. All of Einstein, all the equations, it's so complex that you could never understand it, right? No, it's made up. This whole Einstein special relativity, it's more made up crap. And, and that's something, no that, that's something yeah. that I think is really important. The, what you just said, the, the idea that some things, um, they're so complicated you can't even understand them enough to prove them wrong. But really, uh, what I like to think is that there's nothing, nothing out there under the sun that I can't understand myself, and even a person with a learning a, dis, a learning disability wouldn't be able to understand. That's that's the truth too. They they want you to believe that. See, that's why it's called secret knowledge. There, you know, the priesthood in ancient Babylonian times, they had the things that they could think and do, and and you didn't understand it, so you were had to submit to them. Now, what does scientists do? It's the same thing. They tell you that there's secret knowledge, equations, mathematics. You would never understand. Only these scientism priests, um, Feynman and Stephen Hawking and um, Suskin, Leonard, or um, yeah, I think it's Leonard Suskin. I think it is the Stanford physicist. Um, and then you've got Neil deGrasse Tyson. See, only the priests, and they'll tell you what's real. And it's not to, for you to question them because you don't have what it takes to be in the secret um, enclave, it's like the Freemasonic knowledge. You, you're not a, an, um, an initiate. And that's the game. It's, it's always been the game. Ever, going back to Babylon, secret knowledge, and you can't figure it out, quantum mysticism, which is nothing but Kabbalah. And so I'm thinking um, Einstein... As far as I know, he was a copyright clerk, and that's all he ever was. He, I don't think he was a physicist or, uh, or anything. He was a copyright clerk, and he stole copyrights. He stole patents. He was a patent clerk. He just stole patents, and then the synagogue of Satan said, hey, you know what, let's use this guy um, as the poster boy for some of our new theories so we can, uh, you know, squish this. Michelson-Morley experimentation and these gravitational things that are falling apart. Let's just invent, uh, let's take Kabbalah and invent relativity and then uh, package that as science. And I think that's all that happened with Albert Einstein. I, I've got a chapter in my next book called Frankensteinian Logic. You because, know, you know, Einstein, Frankenstein. <laughs> so you get Frank, Frank Einstein, Frankenstein. Frank. <laughs> <laughs> It's just in a chat. I just thought of that because Einstein, like Frank Einstein, Frankenstein, Frankenstein. Okay, so it's that's all it is. They made it up, Frankenstein. They made up this special relativity, 
to solve some of the problems they were running into with um, gravitational equations. And earlier, I had mentioned that uh, you actually played a big hand in, in kind of uh, sending me flying off of the Trump bandwagon. I mean, I was really a, a hardcore Trump supporter, and uh, the, the stuff that was going on in Israel and in, in Gaza and all that, I, I felt very strongly about that. Even when I was a kid, I just saw the injustice there. I could just see it plainly with my eyes. But uh, one thing that you mentioned in your book was, was an interesting fact about Trump's origin and his father. I, I was just wondering if you would be willing, if you could uh, explain to my listeners out there uh, the thing about Trump's father and, and his connections to this uh, worldwide Zionism. Well, I mean, I don't know exactly um, so much about his father, but I think his father was, was involved in big business and was not necessarily always honest big business, kind of like real estate. And when you're dealing with real estate, you're dealing with the, the special big crowd. And that big crowd is kind of what Christ called the synagogue of Satan. These usury, people involved with usury and finance and banking. And so it's it's all criminal and mafia. I mean, mafia and banking are like, the same word. It's all the same thing. Banking is mafia. They just call it, um, you know, banking. (laughs) So it's extortion. You know, the mafia extorts money out of you and, you know, they get interest. What does banking do? Exact same thing. They'll take your house. They'll take your life. They'll crush you. What what did the the synagogue of Satan do? They practice usury. They'd loan money out at interest and then if you didn't pay it back, they break your legs. And so now, instead of breaking your legs, they'll take your house, which is worse than breaking your legs. And so it's the same thing, extortion. You know, it's um, loaning things on interest. Banking is usury. So Trump's father was involved in the same thing as all the, you know, Rockefellers and Carnegie's and DuPont's and, you know, it's all the same thing. One big club. Um, so, you know, Trump came from that, and he was just given a lot of gifts of um of power by virtue of his father's wealth. And he kind of like did really poorly in, in Las Vegas resorts. He went bankrupt like three times, I think. Um but he kinda of had a gift for the gab, a oratorial charisma. So um the the um accountant that the one of the big accountants um that worked with the Rothschilds dynasty, I I forgot his name, Bernard or something like that. Um, King Rothschild sent him to save uh, Trump from debt, Donald Trump. So they, they saved him three times from bankruptcy. And because they recognized, just like they recognized Adolf Hitler had a gift for gab. You know, I shouldn't say gab, but an oratorial charisma. They recognized Adolf Hitler had an oratorial charisma and a certain kind of power to rally people. Um, so they funded him. Well, Trump, same thing. They said, you know, this guy has a certain kind of charisma. So they bailed him out, Rothschilds did, using their accountant. And then, um, you know, he was beholden to them. And they said, they pretty much said, okay, because they think in terms of decades and they, t- they think in terms of centuries, the planning. They said, well, let's just make this person a celebrity. And eventually, um, he could just be the president. I mean, this is how far ahead they think. So what did they do? They gave Donald Trump a, a show. And I, I doubt if he, re- he wrote the book that they, t- they said he wrote. Um, but they just gave him a show. The, um, what was the name of the show? Remember? Oh, The Apprentice. Yeah, so you now he's the big boss who fires and hires people. I mean, this is the guy who just went bankrupt three times. 
He went bankrupt three times, and he's got a show um, showing how he's the great boss. You see how it was all just a, a fictional invention? And once they got him ensconced and he got a reputation for decades as this actor, um, then they said, okay, let's go to stage two, which is to put him in presidency. So his presidents aren't selected. They're, are, they're not elected. They're selected. So they placed him in the presidency, and then um, Trump is still, is still beholden to the Rockefeller, I mean, uh, sorry, the Rothschilds for them bailing him out. So, And they've got dirt on him, too in many ways. So he owes them. So he just does what he's told. And so he pretty much was at APAC saying, I support Israel 1000%. And he's just going to keep doing um, what he's told to do. And he, he may sincerely want to make America great and all that. I mean, who knows at this point? It just doesn't matter. It's like Hitler also wanted to make Germany great. Did it matter? I mean, Hitler was, he was sincerely trying to make Germany great. And Hitler sincerely did not want to go to war with other countries. But what was the result? This, you know, sincere person wound up with the entire world attacking him. So, it, you know, whether Trump was sincerely wanting to do what he wants to do, he is in bed with the Zionist Rothschilds. That alone should make a person run for the hills. And that's pretty much what happened with me. As soon as I really saw it, I was done. I mean, in my eyes for a long time, Trump was anti-establishment. He's, he's like a freedom fighter. He's a normal guy that rose to the presidency. And, and then he starts doing this stuff in Israel. And uh, it just it became painfully obvious, especially some of your after some of your tweets. I, I just couldn't couldn't take it anymore it really threw me over the edge and I, I just i just got right off of his bandwagon because how could i support somebody that's just another one of these world stage puppets of of these zionists and, and more specifically these luciferians that seem to be deceiving and controlling all of us i just couldn't possibly stand sitting there putting my time and energy towards more deception well we're taught that we should have faith in the system even someone like you who's pretty much outside of the box can get trapped with the fairy tale of faith in the system, because you know better, Daniel, than to trust voting and the American system. So you know better. And yet I should you know still better. For it. <laughs> yeah, I still fell no, for it. Very true. You still, you, because we, we're taught that we should. I, I'm, I'm exceptionally critical and cynical about any organized system, so I, I kind of just don't trust any of it by nature. But most people have more of a trusting nature. Oh, no, I think voting is good this time. And, you know, but I, I know that every president is so hand-picked by the Skull and Bones CFR Rothschilds network. They're all placed in the presidency. They're all there to do the bidding of the elite. And if they reject the elite and go against the elite, they'll be assassinated, like JFK. He started to talk about a ruthless power of secret societies. There's a famous speech of JFK talking about these secret societies. I mean, it's a, it's a great speech. It's one of the best speeches in the history of the world. Everyone should wa watch it. But he was assassinated pretty close after that. <laughs> so you don't rock the boat. And the fact that you started to believe in, in the system, forgetting that the system is the elite. They made the system. They created voting. They created Everything from IRS to Constitution of the United States, it's their system. It's to benefit them. It always has been. If it happens to benefit you, that's just an illusion or um, a byproduct. <laughs> I know that sounds ruthless, 
But I'm serious. The system was invented by the elite to protect them. And if there's any benefits you're experiencing from it, that's an accident, a byproduct, or an illusion. Yeah, exactly. And uh, part of it was the fact that uh, another another world stage puppet, Alex Jones, was actually who is a well known conspiracy guy and, and has a huge constituent of followers and and fans and, and people that subscribe to his Infowars and Prison Planet. Uh, he took all these people that he had gained as followers throughout the years and he basically turned them on to Trump, saying that Trump he's he's aware of all this stuff, he's against it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it couldn't be further from the truth. Not only is Trump just a complete puppet for these for these Luciferian forces, but so is Alex Jones himself. That's a tough one because I was totally on the Alex Jones boat. He's the one that got me. Him and David Icke are the two most powerful influences I had that got me my feet wet into all of this stuff. Me too. Just night, yeah, yeah, you too, right? Because a lot of us. And so I was like really, really distraught when I started to put the pieces together and go, wait a minute, this guy might be the um, the guy who gives you uh, the bottled water that has um, 99% fresh distilled water and 1% cyanide because he gives you all the truth. Who gives you more truth than Alex Jones? Nobody. But then there's all of a sudden leading you away from Zionism and never talking about the Jewish thing and never talking about, you know, he he leads you to a place, and all of a sudden Trump, who's in bed with a Zionist, and you're like, wait a minute, he either is dumb like a fox, or ignorant, or being blackmailed and threatened by the Zionists to not talk about the Zionists. See what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, exactly. There's definitely a big part of the picture he's left out, and what's funny about that is. Um, both Alex Jones and David Icke in the past have have accused each other of being disinformation agents, and, and then later on yeah. ended up talking to each other in interviews and stuff like that. But but basically, uh, they're both right. They're they're both uh, disinformation agents. I, I think Icke is probably a pretty nice guy, though. He seems like it to me. Yeah, and it could be that they're trying to give real information, and they also are playing a game of I don't want to get a bullet in my head, and my master said don't talk about this, so I won't. I mean, let's face it. If, if Daniel, if I said, well, though, no, you might just take the bullet, huh? <laughs> <laughs> if I said, hey, Daniel, don't talk about such and such on your show or you're going to get killed. And you're like, okay, well, I just won't talk about that because I want to keep my show. Yeah, or and, you and might... I can comment on that. I can yeah. comment on that. It, I can definitely say that I would be perfectly willing to sacrifice myself. But if it came down to a loved one yeah. being threatened, I'm not sure I could handle that. I'd probably have to be out. Because that's exactly what they do. They, you know, Trump is in, instructed in Alex Jones that we're, we're not going to just kill your wife and kids. We're going to torture them and, and take their skin off if you say one word. And that's really what's going on. And so, I mean, it's hard to blame Alex and – I mean, I don't know. Um, I do – I tend to trust David like more, even though he goes into reptilian alien land, because maybe he just has it wrong, Right. But he has it right about the Zionist Rothschilds thing. Like, I think he has it correct. So, I mean, what about me? Am, am I correct about some things and wrong about other things? Sure, it could be. I mean, the whole thing about faith in Christ. Am I just cracker box crazy? Am I just an idiot, uh, um, kind of foolish, um, whatever, to believe that faith might be required? 
to survive or am I onto something? Now, it's time will tell, right? If, if there's a transhumanistic, totalitarian, autocratic, transhumanistic takeover of the world, which is happening, and you're given a choice between execution and death or the technology, um, and you say, well, maybe, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I can't do this by myself, and maybe I have to look into crime. And then it's like as they're taking you to a guillotine, because, you know, they're, they, there's 14,000 guillotines being purchased by FEMA. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> yeah, I heard something like that. That is incredibly disturbing. My God. Yeah, so it's like, what you know, are they going to cut heads of lettuce? Is that what's going on? <laughs> I mean, why do you need guillotines at a, uh, you know, a FEMA camp? Okay, so it looks to me like there's, um, I'm, I'm looking at a thing I call a choice, that you either have to, like, investigate the safe thing um, or just discard it and just be executed or take the technologies and think that everything's going to be hunky-dory. But, I mean, from what we've seen of these technologies and the Luciferian architects, it's it's a soul trapping technology. It's not they don't they don't want your body. They keep care less. They want your mind. I mean, what is Elon Musk talking about? Neuralink. He wants to upload your mind. He could care less about your body. I mean, imagine Daniel, I, I uploaded your mind and your consciousness and I you know, ensnared your soul in Luciferian technologies and I could torture you forever. You cannot you don't even have a body. You're not even incarnate. You're disembodied Spirits trapped by elusive. I mean, this is what they're after. Pretty wild, right? Yeah, and I can say that, I mean, of course, there's always the possibility that it's my imagination, but I do get bombarded mm -hmm. by strange electronical electronic harassment, like this strange yeah. ear ringing oscillation. Uh, I feel like I'm getting stabbed with swords, heart palpitations, a strange uh, missing thoughts like whatever I was thinking has just been plucked from my head, that, that stuff like that that I think would reflect some sort of uh, transhumanistic Luciferian technology grid. And that's, it's almost a problem-reaction uh, solution, Hegelian dialectic. They can create enough mental disease and famine and distress, um, GMO foods, all that. They can create enough distress. Um, you will willingly beg for the technologies they're going to offer you. You see how they do that? They make you want their life extension technologies or their uh, neuro enhancement technologies. Like you're having gaps in your thinking? Well, there's this new microchip that will <laughs> help you organize your thoughts and you'll have all the access to the Google um, Internet, you know, in your brain. And so you'll kind of like, you'll go for it if you didn't know better. And that's what they're banking on. Yeah, and the truth is that if they wanted to kill me, they could have done it a long time ago, but they probably don't even care to do that. It's much more fun to have me chasing my tail and running around in circles. Yeah, I don't think, from my research of the um, Luciferian satanic realm, they're really not so interested in killing people as they are in torturing. See, that's where they get, you know, like the criminals who torture their prey, uh, their victims before they kill them. I mean, there's some serial killers. They torture, like rape and torture and sodomize and torture and, you know, burn and cut and, you know, dismember. They'll, they'll do like five weeks of torture, that, you know, and then just kill them. <laughs> so was the goal to kill or to torture? You see the same thing in war. 
you see the same thing in satanic covens. Um, torture, it, it, because it's about power. They don't want money. They want power. They, Lucifer wants power and worship. They want you to worship them, and that's what torture does. It, it breaks you down. And that is they the ultimate. You, that is the ultimate defeat. If they can actually somehow systematically get you to worship Lucifer like them, they have truly won on every level. Well, they're, they they um, they're already part way there, even with people like you and myself. What exactly is sitting on my desk? and alive and ticking as I talk to you, a cell phone. And I'm using a Bluetooth. This is their technology. See, they already have us. They are, they, the, the, this is not a natural situation to sit and talk from distance. It would be better that you were outside and I was outside hiking in the fresh air, drinking fresh water. We'd be happier and healthier. They, they'd love it, the fact that we're, you know, torturing ourselves sitting in a room with a little black box called a cell phone and digital technology. And, you know, they, they love it. You know, this is how clever the game is. They, they want us to be attached to all these technologies as a form of torture, leading to a more overt torture, like being skinned alive while your mind is inside an uploading situation. One thing that... I know. Ike does say, though, he does say that they are Satanists. That's one thing that he does get right. Yeah, there's well, Jones says the same thing. There's Satanists. I mean, what is that? Like, definitions? Satanism versus Luciferianism uh, versus whatever. Mm, it's yeah. hard. People, people break down these definitions all the time. Like, does a Satanist believe in God? Does a Satanist believe in um, what? You know, as opposed to Luciferian. And there's, there's different flavors of Satanism, there's Luciferian Satanism, um, there's atheistic Satanism, and there's, there's no end to the splitting of definitions, I think. Have you ever thought of maybe uh, putting together some kind of group? I mean, they have all these UFO groups and conventions and, and things like that. A, lo a lot of people, uh, you know, pushing this sort of P.T. Barnum bullshit and, and stuff like that. Have, have you ever thought about putting together something a little bit more real, like some sort of uh, uh, convention where people talk or a group, uh, something along the lines of your work where people uh, expose Luciferians and, and, and talk about Jesus, that sort of thing? Uh, I'm going to put together a group where I scare the hell out of everybody so they choose Christ. That's, that's the title of the group. Uh, scare the hell out of you so you choose Christ. That, that's just the title. <laughs> it's going to be like with an accent. Scare the hell out of you so you choose Christ group. This will be an Irish scare the hell out of you. That's all I do. They scare the hell out of people. Um, no, I'm really off the grid in terms of that. Like I'm off the off the channels, off the grid, outside of groups, attached to nothing. I'm pretty much a freelance, write my book, take it or not. <laughs> I'm pretty much say everything that I want to say with no censorship. And if I was involved in groups and getting involved in bigger, even bigger talk shows, I'd have to start censoring things and play political. That's why all these Anunnaki Nephilim uh, people are, are so like, Sycophants. They, they they talk the same talk. They agree with each other. They never go out of the box. I'm completely not in any box at this point. I'm, I think I want to stay that way. Uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean. It, it's 
it's hard sometimes to say that I, I no longer really believe in Anunnaki or ancient astronauts. I'm, I'm afraid of what some of my peers might think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not against the idea of, like, the, the luminaries having some celestial spiritual nature. Like, sure, stars up there could have some kind of Anunnaki Nephilim flavor to them, but I'm just not into the whole billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of light years of outer space. I can't prove any of that. Like, I don't, I don't believe in it. I've never seen it. It makes no sense. I mean, they were nuking the dome. Operation Dominique, Operation High Jump, Operation Deep Freeze, Operation Fishbowl. They were nuking the dome, and it was exploding at 100 miles. I mean, the huge mushroom clouds hitting something at 100. So, I don't think we can escape this uh, firmament. So if you get into aliens, they better be lower Earth orbit aliens. <laughs> I'm okay with that. When you were, during your psychedelic experiment of years, uh, we, we kind of uh, moved past this, but I did want to ask you, did you ever see anything alien or demonic when you were tripping? Yeah, I had some experience where I was um, near UCSC, near the coast. And at one point, um, and this is how you start to see that you're dealing with, it's not just hallucinations, you're dealing with interdimensional power. Um, all of a sudden, I realized I was, I was about 50 feet tall. And I looked down, and my pants had rips on them, kind of like how the kids have. You know, they buy jeans with rips. Um, except back then, we, we bought them new, and we just ripped them from uh, from use. That's how you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to wear them. Anyway... I looked in and I had a lightsaber and I was like, you know, okay, this is all psychedelic stuff and 50 miles. And then all of a sudden, um, at one point, I was looking out at the ocean and there was millions and millions of skulls and skeletons reaching out. Um, and they were kind of like telekinetically or, or tele telepathically asking for help. I mean, this is not normal stuff. And this isn't just like you see, you know, trails. <laughs> this is like a vision. And the next thing you know, I was kind of like at the, literally at the gates of heaven. I mean, I don't know how to explain it anymore. I was, I was at the, I was actually at the gates. It wasn't so much like a, you know, a gate like you see a, in, a, in a photo. It was just kind of like a metaphoric realm where there was a gate. And, um, you know, speechless. And so there was all these skeletons crawling out of the ocean asking for, like, I was supposed to save them. And I, I had this, this like, Messiah thing for about three weeks after the trip. I was like, I mean, I was really depressed. I was like, I was supposed to save the whole world. It was really heavy. It was very paranormal. It was laced with all kinds of interdimensional uh, creatures and visions. And um, that was the last time I ever did psychedelics. It, it just pretty much... I mean, it, it, it almost destroyed me for months. I was like, I was supposed to save the entire world. Hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's pretty heavy when you're a kid and you have this vision went on for like 12 hours with all these multi-layers where I was supposed to save the entire world. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and that does beg another question, Greg. Uh, we've, we've been sitting here, you know, this is our third interview. Uh, people are paying attention to what's going on during these conversations and I can't help feel that some of this was meant to happen. Are we meant to do this? Is this our destiny to try to wake up people and, and get them to become more aware of what's going on? 
I think so because there's no re no way in our right minds that we would do this for any other reason. I mean, I mean, are you having fun all the time? No. This is not a uh, rose bushes path. You know, this is not glory road here. Yeah, there's just there's depression, there's study, there's research, there's solitude, um, where there's pressure and stress. There's all this stuff. And, and the threat of, you know, people are constantly mocking and ridiculing and attacking um, me and you. And so why would I do this? Why would I, you know, unless I'm an utter masochist, which I'm not, why would I do this if it wasn't for, you know, and it's not for the money. I'm, I'm not making much money. I'm not rich from this. You know, so it's not for the money and it's not for fame or anything. It's just you reach a point in your life where there's nothing to live for but truth. I'm like, in fact, that's been my guiding light my entire life. I've been searching for truth since I was a little kid. That's all I've ever done. Religion, philosophy, physics, science, anthropology, psychology, you name it. Just looking for truth. And so it's brought me to this place where this is the truth I have, and I'm sharing it, and I'm finding out other people are finding a similar truth. Like, this is a, this is bigger than me. And so I think that's what, okay, well, there you go. It, it's bigger than you. And it's bigger than me, and I think that's what's going on. Uh, yeah, definitely bigger than than both of us. Uh, I I almost feel like there is some kind of mission here that that there are going to be some major things that play out in the future, and this is just really the beginning. It's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, at some point, it seems to me that good-hearted people, spiritual people. People with the eyes to see and the ears to hear, they're going to have to come together and join forces at some point. Yeah, and I think that's what's happening uh, with all these groups that are happening, this, you know, Facebook and Twitter and you name it. Um, but what I'm seeing is, is, is that it's all being co-opted. And I was writing about this recently, that all these groups, truth community, truth groups, it's all being infiltrated. It's all being co-opted. It's all Luciferian. Like, I can't find anything, nothing, that's not a Luciferian path right now. All Christian churches, all Luciferian. Catholic church, well, that goes without saying. It's all secret knowledge, uh, you, the new age binding together, the new age of peace, love, and light, which is Lucifer's, you know, deception. I, I don't see many people that are doing anything but Luciferianism right now. Have you ever heard of Jan Irvin? Mm-mm. Yeah, he's a real, real interesting guy. He's he has a website and a podcast. He's not very well known, but uh, for years and years, he's been going around saying the entire psychedelic movement is all new age conspiracy. It's all this yeah. info. And nobody really believes him. And a lot of people make fun of him. And and I, I've kind of uh, got, I got in an argument with him over email one time. But um, it does seem that, you know, I'm, I'm having a change of heart. It, it might be that Jan was right the whole time. <laughs> Well, it's kind of like the more you investigate into all this stuff, the more you sound like some old 85-year-old grandma that's, you know, talking about her Bible, right? <laughs> it's, it's hard to escape the um, the stigma of sounding like an archaic Christian Bible, you know, a Methodist Presbyterian goes to church every Sunday. You start The more you look into this, the more you start to sound like that. The, the, I escape, I try to escape those um, that stigma that those um, kind of categorization 
by um, talking more about scientism than Christianity, as you know. That's like my strategy. It's, I reveal scientism, and I, in my last book, exploring the connection, exploring the connections between scientism and Luciferianism. So I'm going to keep it involving, um, revealing the deceptions in scientism, and showing these connections instead of going right to this Christ idea. And and I said this many times, thinking that if people are interested or or you know spirit takes them or faith hits them or whatever hits them, logic reason. <laughs> They will look into Christianity, um, and they'll do the work. If I have to do the work for the person, if I have to do all the apologetics and all the dialectics and all the refutations and all the defense, if I have to do everything, that person um, doesn't want what I'm talking about. You understand what I'm saying? Like, if you don't do any work, and I, I don't mean work for your salvation. That's I'm, I'm not talking about that kind of work. Not, not like, oh, you do enough work and you're saved. That's not what I mean. I mean, if you don't do enough soul searching, not secret knowledge work, <laughs> um, to figure out the things that you should figure out, whatever that might be for you, um, then you certainly will have to pay the piper. And, and I think that's just a fact in any discipline, whether it be religion or a science. Um, if you don't do certain things and wake up, you will have to face some consequences. And I do want to ask you, let's let's say 30, 50 years from now, 15, however long it's going to be, everything's come to play. Everything's come to pass. The NWO has risen. The transhumanist technologies, the grid has been completed. We're immersed in this virtual nanotechnology 5G world. At, at what point, or is this, is this even going to happen? Is is there going to be a second coming of Christ, and is he going to save our butts when we are in the thick of this? Yeah, that's the big question, right? There's like the biblical um, interpretation, and some there's people talk about the rapture. Um, there's the idea of a physical Christ. There's the idea of a spiritual Christ, which is just a spirit that overtakes the world. It's just like the Lucifer isn't necessarily a person that takes the throne, but it's a um, a force or entity, um, uh, you know, a doctrine <laughs> that takes the throne of the world. You could say that technology is Lucifer, and as technology takes the throne, and it has, then that's Lucifer taking the throne. So, like, the New World Order is already established, you know. Lucifer is in the throne because technology is is there. So, would Christ be a person? Um, and the and Bible scholars will have their, you know, They'll tell me what's what because they read the Bible and um, know more than I about that particular thing. Or is Christ um, the moral choice? See, I always thought that the second coming is the the self-confession to your own sinfulness and choosing Christ, that that's the second coming right there. As opposed to a um, age of Aquarius, versus age of Pisces, you know, a force moving through the world. I'm not so sure that that's going to be the game. I think it's going to be much more subtle. It's going to be more personal, where each person um, essentially makes the choice for God and morality. Like, that's that's it. Not like a big, huge, overt thing. And as you make that choice, that's the second coming. 
because the other choice will be these technologies out of hubris and the ignorance of trying to, you know, longevity and apotheosis, all this ignorance that's inside of your soul will darken and blacken your ability um, to choose anything moral. You're, I mean, we probably have sex machines and violence and all this stuff will be perfectly acceptable by everyone at that point. It almost already is. And so those that choose morality and not all the promiscuous, not all the drugs, not all the um, everything that's Luciferian, um, when they make that choice towards morality, they end up with Christ all of a sudden, not even knowing how. And maybe that's the second coming. It's the moral compass being recalibrated towards um, God. Yeah, yeah, that's that's deep for sure. It's really hard to say how things are going to yeah. play out. I can't help but wonder why, I, I, or wonder how and why, but um, I do know that it, it, it does say somewhere that things are going to get really, really bad uh, be, before there there is there is some kind of help or, or before things get better. And I, I could totally see that. I, could, I can see it now, the way the earth is being completely destroyed, the way that people are fighting in the streets and being completely manipulated, the way that there's just ignorance, ignorance everywhere, ignorance and darkness. It's almost like we're in uh, as, as fast and as high speed as the technology has become. Our spirituality has just declined and declined, and it, it barely exists anymore. A lot of these communist countries, they outright ban any sort of uh, religion or spirituality. It's, and that's probably what's going to happen here. The, the new generation of kids, they're going to grow up as socialists, and they're just going to want to completely get rid of any kind of religion. Well, that's exactly what's happening, like you say. The new age and the whole idea of the Vatican Church is to unite all the religions, right, into one super-religion, which means there's really no religion. There's a global, or in, in their terms, a world religion, which is you know, the New Age. And you know what that religion is, Daniel? It's Lucifer. What David Spangler from the United Nations wrote a book, um, A Planetary Consciousness, uh, like Christ for a New Age or something, um, Christ Consciousness, the whole idea of David Spengler, the writer for the, the United Nations, was he said that those who refuse the Luciferian doctrine, you know, will kind of be killed. I mean, that's the United Nations saying it. Luciferianism is the New Age religion, and it involves science and technology and the worship of um, the universe, pantheism. There's no God. God did not create anything. It's the universe has always been in existence, and it just keeps evolving, and eventually, through cosmic consciousness, we will evolve and merge with the cosmic consciousness of this Logos, this pantheistic universe, and be gods ourselves. That's the teaching of the transhumanistic Luciferian New Age. And so that's where this is headed. This is going towards um, the apotheosis dream, the New Age religion, and, and Christianity is the one religion that will be destroyed, and Christians will be killed. When I keep talking about this choice, what I'm going around Robin's barn to say is that those who choose the technology of, of the transhumanistic age will get those technologies. Those who refuse it will have chosen Christ and will be executed. So there's no way out. Either you choose eternal hell, or you will be killed. That's the choice I'm talking about. People don't like what I'm saying. And so if you choose Christ and you will be killed, you just won eternal life. Now, to me, 
when that choice comes, because it's going to come, people are all warm, cozy, sitting in their houses. The Palestinians are getting genocided, but that's over there. The Iranians are going to war, but that's over there. Um, you know, everything's somewhere else. Fat and happy America, it's going to end. And when fat and happy America ends, um, it's going to be absolute violent uprising. It already is, like you said. So that's the thing. People are going to have to face the fact that the party's over and that they need to actually investigate into the idea of being executed and having this eternal life through faith, or that that's absolute bullshit, I don't buy it, and I will just take those technologies so so they won't kill me, and then I will be my mind and uploaded into this mainframe cloud Luciferian matrix. And see, for me, it's a no-brainer. <laughs> I'm not that dumb to think that these elites are going to somehow protect me and help me. They're going to torture I think there's something to be said about that in terms of the story of Jesus walking out in the desert and actually being tempted by by Lucifer uh, for for quite a while and actually being able to resist those temptations. I, do, I don't think that I don't think that your average person or really anybody would be able to do that because it's one thing to turn down money or power, but how many people out there can say no and refuse, uh, for example, their ultimate sexual fantasy? That that would just that would get everybody. It's almost like if you're really deep inside the pleasures of the world, it will be harder to turn away from these transhumanistic technologies. Like if I told you that you could have an Oculus Rift um, VR, virtual reality game situation with Halo or, I don't know, whatever, and you could just be in a, a three-dimensional or four-dimensional or five, um, you could have a bodysuit where you can feel and touch and interact with your characters and it's, it's insanely gorgeous, beautiful, like Ready Player One. And if I told you that you could have that, but 10 times, 10,000 times even better and more real where you could live out your fantasies, um, you're going to go for it. See, it's only the people that are suffering that won't. I mean, I, I mean, the kind of suffering where you go, where you realize nothing will make you feel better. Like there's no shiny toy that that will last. Like you've tried all the shiny toys. People try drugs. They try relationships. They try technology. They get a new computer. None of it lasts. The thrill is gone, or they flatten out. It becomes boring. Nothing lasts. Now, either you accept that that's the name, that's the game, and you have like a lower consciousness that's as good as it'll ever get, blah, 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 like existentialism, or you say, well, let me explore and see if there's something deeper than that. And that's what you do. You spend your whole life investigating that, and you arrive at the idea of eternal life. And so you can either accept that through logic or through faith, or jettison the whole thing and try once again like a dog going to look up its vomit that's really going for another technological high is the same as a dog going to like lick up its vomit for another thrill. That's all that's going, you know, we've all tried cell phones, computers, gaming, movies. It never lasts. Yeah, very true. And even uh, exactly psychedelics. I mean, I've tried plenty and 
you feel great for a few days to a couple weeks afterwards. You feel like you really have it. But then before mm-hmm. you know it, you've forgotten all that and you're just back to normal everyday life. It it really is kind of empty at the end of the day. It's fun. I mean, you see colorful things and you, ha- you have uh, all sorts of interesting thoughts and ideas pop up, but it's not really any sort of spiritual sustenance at all, really. It's all a, a deception. It, it's a masquerade for um, true spirituality. It, it's kind of like the phrase, um, better to have not had sugar or um, oh, the taste of sugar is, is worse than to uh, it's better to not have had the taste um, than to suffer the um, wanting of it. So it's like if I said, here, have this sweet sugar and you're like, or chocolate, you're like, wow, this is fantastic. And now you crave it. But you can never get that same pleasure, you know, sex, psychedelics. Um, and so you're kind of trapped. Like we're all addicted to the, uh, the world. Uh, money is a great attractor. You get you talk to rich people and they say, "Oh, what did they say to Rockefeller?" They asked him, um, "You have like billions and billions and trillions." <laughs> he goes, "How much is enough?" And, and he, you know what he said? He goes, um, "Something like if I get enough, that still won't be enough. Like if I get, <laughs> you know, it's just the idea. Like too much is never enough. <laughs> Think about that. Too much is never enough. Too much sex and you still want more. Too much money." too much power, too much radio play. <laughs> There's no end to um, the world. So the only thing that, that, and Christ mentioned this, that actually satisfies is the spiritual fullness of God. And people say, well, what's that? I can't touch it. I can't see it. It's like, well, no, because it's not the world. <laughs> I mean, you have to be very worldly to even say that, right? Like, oh, I can't, how can you quantify it? Well, that's, like scientism, quantification of spiritual things. And so we're dealing with um, the world and the love of the world and, you know, mammon, money, the love of money, versus um, the love of spiritual things. And I don't mean new age spiritual. I don't mean pantheistic cosmic consciousness, not that kind of stuff, because that's still worldly. Because the universe is an entity, as long as you're searching for this pantheistic cosmic consciousness of the new age, you're still searching for the world. But God is transcendent. It transcends all that. And people say, well, it's rubbish. They can't see it. They can't taste it. You can't prove it. And my response is, yes, I can, but you're too stupid <laughs> to understand. And that's harsh for me to say that, but sometimes I just got to say it. I hate to be that way, but some people just are not, they don't have enough spiritual cognition or um, discrimination or even intellectual aptitude to, to grasp anything. It's like, hey, put the beer down and listen to me, you know? <laughs> Would you perhaps far in the future, uh, after the next book maybe, or, or beyond that, w- would you ever consider writing a book about Jesus or the Second Coming? Uh, yeah, I, I, absolutely. In, in fact, I've never thought of that, but the fact, and I've been kind of writing about Christianity my whole life, not even knowing I was. Um, even the last book, The Scientism Delusion, it's just an apologetics for Christ. <laughs> I was just using scientism to make an argument for God. It's really what I did. Um, if you kind of keep on it, keep on me about it too. Like I'm, I'm about 400,000 words into the next book, and I'm going to have to split it into two or three books because you know, no one's going to read a 400,000 word book. 
there's so many topics that I'm, you know, deceptions and I don't exactly know how it's going to turn out. I'm just kind of letting God write it. But um, if you keep on with me or on me about that at some point, um, yeah, I mean, it, it turns into a, a more directed, um, intentional look at Christianity using the nomenclature of Christianity instead of talking about all the things I talk about in the peripheral. So definitely open to that. Yeah, I think that would be, an, you know, I was just thinking, um, think, thinking about yourself and, and the the book that you wrote and the one that you're working on. It, it almost seems like a logical progression because you are going to cover the Antichrist, which I find absolutely fascinating. We covered that pretty in-depth in the last program, and I'm sure we'll talk about it in the future. But it seems logically, logic in my opinion, that the next step would be to maybe talk about the, the – uh, uh, second coming, because that would be the time when we're finally bailed out of all of this. But it could be that the fact that you're bringing this up with me, because like, I do entertain a lot of topics when I write. I, mean, I literally will have you know, 20, 20 tabs open on my computer and, um, you know, like 50 to 100 topics in my table of contents that I'm kind of like thinking about. I mean, it's insane. Let's face it, I'm not writing this. I'm too stupid to, to do this. There's no human being that can do what I'm doing. Um, it's like I think I'm being led. So if it leads to this um, hyper-focus on Christianity in the way that it, it kind of seems to be going, I think it will just naturally occur. Or I will, uh, you'll be talking to me, and I will be writing, and, and maybe the two of us together will be coming to some kind of um, deeper prophetic understanding as to what this second coming actually, not just a wild thing, but actually figuring out something um, really coherent about what this could be. And then we'll offer that, you know, to whoever we can. And Greg, I, I do know that that this research that you're doing is absolutely fascinating, but I know that you have some hobbies outside, outside of writing. Uh, you had mentioned that you are a fan of heavy metal music. Yeah, I was uh, started as a music major at UCLA and been playing trumpet and symphonies my whole life and writing music and songs and bands. And my one of my big loves is um is metal. I like dream theater and um and just a lot of different types of metal, but also symphonic because I played symphonies. So symphonic metal is one of my passions. I write symphonic metal. It's very aggressive. Uh, it's very complicated. Different time signatures. Very colorful and a lot of orchestral. Uh, oboes, French horns, strings, and you know, like Nightwish is what we're working on in this band that I'm in. Um, and oh, you're so you're actually in a band? Yeah, yeah. Recently, I was auditioning for a band, and I'm going to be playing in a symphonic metal band. I, I I played in a lot of bands throughout the years, but never in just a, a total symphonic metal project. So I'm really, in fact, today I've been transcribing a song called "Dark Chest of Wonders" by Nightwish all day, trying to work on the keyboard parts. Um, but here's the ironic thing, Daniel. The band that we're looking into is very, they call themselves openly secular. <laughs> the, um, the band we're kind of like emulating. So that's interesting kind of, uh, it's almost in my face, evolutionary Darwinistic theory is being pushed by the uh, band that we're trying to kind of like emulate. And so... But that there's an interesting story or an interesting lesson coming out of this for me. It's like it's in my face. These songs about the stars and evolution and even Dawkins. I mean, 
I'm kind of going, what am I getting myself into? But I really love the music, so I'm kind of, I don't know, maybe this is Lucifer saying, hey, you can have all the empires of the world if you worship <laughs> me. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I thought that was interesting. Uh, you mentioned that offline. I thought it was interesting because I'm a guitar player, and I, I really love metal music. And I know a lot of it is kind of satanically themed per se, but uh, I, I like to just think of that stuff as kind of symbology, and, and uh, I, I try not to take it too seriously because I do love the music yeah. so much. And I, and I do think, I mean, there's beauty and there's power in metal. Like, when it's really well done, and heavy metal is just out of this world. It's like going to war, but it's also making love at the same time. It's very, very dynamic. And and so you can use it for evil and you can use it for good. I mean, obviously, you can, uh, Marilyn Manson, you can use it for Satanism and worshiping um, Lucifer. Or you can use it like Rush. Well, actually, Rush is a little satanic, too. <laughs> They're kind of like secular satanic in their own way. Um, but I, I guess what I'm trying to say, it, it's an imperfect world. And if I was completely pure and sinless and stainless, then I would be probably a monk in a monastery singing Christian hymns. I'm obviously not at that level. And I've accepted that this is the level I'm at. And if I if I reach a point where I, I have to go to a, only, like, played Johann Sebastian Bach, <laughs> it's Soviet. But, you know, that's not where I'm at right now. Pretty cool. Well, we are approaching the end of the interview, but I do want to open things up one more time for you, Greg. Uh, go ahead and get back up on the soapbox if you would like one more time and say whatever you would like to say to my audience out there in, clo- in closing. And please feel free to follow that up with anything at all that you would like to plug, anything upcoming. If you just want to talk about the next book or whatever, feel free to do that right now. Okay. Um, well, I've pretty much gone over quite a few things that um, need to be gone over. I think one of the things that I want to kind of rehash, and I talk about this a lot, is that there's um, there's an epistemological, I call it autocracy, scientism priest. And they're very mesmerizing, they're very hypnotic, and very convincing. And um, they're at the head of all of this. Um, they are ensuring that the world goes a certain direction. And that direction is towards a technological um, I call it epistemological, which is knowledge, uh, these epistemological cartels to completely tyrannize through scientific dictatorship over the world. And so people kind of have to really take a heads up to what I'm saying. And you can forget everything else I'm saying. You, know, you can say Christianity is rubbish. You can do whatever you want. But the one thing you really need to know is that we have a rising scientific dictatorship um, as Philip Collins calls it, the ascendancy of the scientific dictatorship, and it's rising and it has risen, and um, it's extremely toxic, lethal, and dangerous, and it's it's um, rooted in, in all these occult fantasies of gravity, the Big Bang, cosmology, heliocentrism, and evolutionary theory, and um, the whole flat Earth thing is part of it. You know, people need to look into that, and my main message is not to say that I have the truth or Daniel has the truth. or um, It's more to say that there are huge gaps in what we've been told, uh, chasms between reality and the descriptions of reality, which have been passed off as reality. And we need to, all everyone needs to kind of be more suspicious and critical and look into all of these different things 
and uh, find out for themselves what's real and what's not real for them. I can guide you and help you with my writing, what I say, but ultimately each person has to look, take it upon themselves to look into it. 